G'day Vermin Lords, AOS Coach here, and guess what? We have a special episode. We are talking all things Skaven, and you're like, wait a second, you have done like a million Battle Tome reviews in 2023. Why on earth are you talking Skaven? Because they haven't had a new Battle Tome. Guess what? I've secured a very special guest. It's Kieran Coates, who was the runner-up into the Australian Age of Sigmar Masters, who took Skaven not only through the competitive season and earned his place in the in the top of the the the, the pile of Australia, but also took them to the grand final. Uh, unfortunately, you did go down to Dave Kerr, who is the now th three times Australian Master, so someone to have no losing to on the top table. Um, I have heard a rumor that you may be the incarnate of Fanquil as well. Uh, I can't confirm yet. <laughs> Maybe in the next couple of hours, we'll get a better understanding. But Kieran, welcome. And we are going to talk Skaven, talk about almost like revisit the faction. Where are they currently at? What are you currently doing to get success at a GT level and at a master's level? And what have you kind of learned along the way? Because we have had a whole bunch of new books and are the thing that we, we thought were good in the old book or sorry, in the, at the last season, is it still good? Or is there stuff down now that you're looking at with, you know, squigs and KO and like all the things that are rising in the meta, are there things we should revisit? But I'm going to shut up and welcome you, say g'day and introduce yourself. Oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, definitely not uh, thankful. Um, probably more of a, probably more of a Ickit Claw or the Urrat, you know, 75% of the time it works, 25% of the time you blow yourself up and uh, pick up the pieces and restart. So, uh <laughs> um yeah look uh, great to be here um as most of you may or may not know i just tend to play skaven i'm a hardcore skaven fanatic um it is the one and only true army that i play um so yeah skaven all the way to the uh all the way to the top and uh probably will continue with just skaven it's a great book there's a ton of variety and never get bored of it it is such a funny faction. Um, Skaven is one of those armies, and I love them because they go back to the olden days, right? You know, you're mm. stealing my cheese as an Empire player. You're still annoying me to this day. Thankwell is still an absolute beat house, and Skaven does what Skaven does. And it's really the army that rewards the tacticians, right? You don't, you're not Iron Jaws. You don't walk up the board and smash. You are popping out of your no holes. You, you know, uh, skitter leaping you are shooting me off the board you're like a wonderful wallstone crack addict sh shooting up and either it works amazingly i had this game um i'll never forget it i had this game at bathurst gt last year where i, I my first game was against skaven and the dude's like look this game's going to end really quickly now i don't know if it's going to be you getting tabled or i'm getting tabled all i know is that we're going to have a lot of fun and he was true to his word, uh, and uh, I'll never forget his uh, little rattling team deleting my uh, Celestant Prime because he whiffed all the attacks. Or, yeah, or, sorry, whiffed uh, all the diff saves. Yeah, now look, rattling guns, are, rattling guns are a hell of a unit. Back in the old book, they were the cornerstone of my list and uh, possibly, my, possibly my favorite model in all of uh, Skaven. Um, I don't use them right now, but I'm definitely keen to uh, put my rattling guns back on the table. They were... Uh, there's something funny about just uh, rats with miniguns just popping out of stuff and just murdering in a, in a frenzy. <laughs> it's so funny. And they're, what, 60-odd points. It's just like if they pop, who cares? If they slap, they slap incredibly hard. And um, that's the kind of thing with Skaven. You just lean into the craziness and you just have a good time. And 
you're like a destruction army where the potential is off the charts, but the likelihood of hitting your potential is so random that you can't rely on it. Yeah, for sure. Look, and I think probably, you know, we'll, we'll get further into this after, but probably the hardest part of Skaven is there is definitely a risk-reward ratio with Skaven right through with each unit. Um, and a lot of Skaven is trying to understand when do you take the risk for the reward ratio or, and when is it not worth it? And it's, it's actually quite hard to look at different, because every, every time you're playing a new opponent, there's a whole new map in front of you. And the question is, analyzing the math quickly, if I do this stupid play that's, you know, 30% chance it'll win me the game, 70% chance it won't, is that a viable thing to do right now? Or do I wait to try to bump those odds higher or lower as the game goes? And then at some point, you just need to pull the trigger and just... Uh, let the flares run wild, and uh, if the if the math's in your favor, then hopefully you win. And if the math's not, then there's another round coming up after. So just get ready. <laughs> and that's really interesting thinking because whenever you talk or you listen to a tournament player, whether it's on my channel, in a Discord, on another person's channel, you always hear that tournament players hate the gamble. They hate, like if you look at Skaven, uh, Squeak players, for example, you rarely used to see Squeaks do really well competitively until this particular book where they reduce the amount of randomness. Like my, you know, I used to do like 3D6 on my move and yeah, I could do 18, but I also could do three. And when yeah. I roll those three or that five, it can really neuter my strategy. So I will be definitely curious to hear why you not only took these to a competitive tournament, but then actually took it to the masters and how you embrace that randomness. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, random isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's random for me, but it's random for you as well. Um, and I think Skaven is also an army where um, if you're trying to just play the most, um, I think there's there a quote I heard a while back. There's like, you, play, you pay a high price for certainty. This was to do with investing in financial odds, nothing to do with Warhammer, but um, you do pay a high price for certainty. Um, and one of the things is when you're going into great players is great players will know how to analyze your odds just as well as you can analyze their odds. But if my odds are random and you're going against really good players who are used to a clean structured fight, it's actually very hard for them to judge what you're going to do because it, there's such a wide scope and they can't deal with that random variability factor that just can throw a game completely out of, out of their fashion. So, um, yeah. I don't know if your opponent's the same, but when I when I used to play Gloomspike Gits at their peak randomness, right, I always mm. found people would always calculate their decisions based off worst case scenario. So that three D six chart, so three D six move, they would always factor in eighteen, and while that's viable, they would make decisions off that. And I knew based on the amount of games that I've played, what the likelihood of the the maths and actually doing the thing. But how do you see that randomness playing out and how do you think about it as a Skaven player? Okay. So, so as a Skaven player, um, and we'll get more into the particulars of um, the way that I tend to play, um, but using something like a triple master clan um, ability, um, you can get your deep strikes to about a 65 to 75% chance of hitting when you're coming out of a deep strike. Now, the reason why that's important is you can put into your opponent's head that if they leave a bubble open, more often than not, I'm going to smack you off the table. Now, I may not smack you off the table. There is a chance that you can go forwards and I'm just going to roll horribly and you're going to win. But the fact that I can more often than not do it is really the key. So I think this is where we're talking about like the, ra the random factor. If you can make your random from good to amazing, that's the perfect type of random. The bad type of random is when it's going from 
your, your best case random is okay and your worst case random is terrible. Um, and it's about sort of controlling uh, that randomness as well as, as you were saying, like, I mean, what, what you were saying about the movement, uh, uh, probably the most common Skaven example you get is where you get lists with triple warp lightning cannon. Like it can do, it can not even, not only can it not do no mortal wounds, you can kill yourself or you can do 36 mortal wounds to your opponent. And because the opponent has to assume that their key piece, if it goes into range, it will die. It's not even about you doing the damage. It's the threat that if they do go into range, that you'll do that damage that stops them coming in in the first place. Um, similar to, again, as I was giving the example for my PCBs that are in deep strike, because they know that at any time, if they break that bubble, I'm going to come out of deep strike. Even if I've got the chance to bring them down, I normally don't bring them down until generally turn three, because forcing them to stay in a bubble with that random 65% chance, I'm just going to come into the back lines and murder you, forces them to play a clean fight. And if you have to play a clean fight into three unclean versions of uh, clan rats that are 32 inches long lines, which we'll get into later as a, a, a particular piece of Skaven tech. Um, I, I'm happy to play a clean fight. I got death frenzy. I got chaff lines. I got teleports and shooting over the top. I can play the clean fight very well. Um, and if we get into a melee punch on, we'll win. Um, the times where I tend to struggle is where I have to play an unclean fight, i.e. things like Lumineth, things like KO, things that um, Sylvaneth that can just blow you off from the other side of the table. Things like this are the armies that really Skaven does struggle against, where you can't force them into a clean fight where they have to hit the clan rat screens. Yeah. All right. And we will talk about your list as well. Just uh, quickly, we will bring up the list and I'll get to your thinking around the list and how you prepared it. And obviously we are playing in the current season, so um, it's very much going to be focused around the Galatian veterans, but also we can share some wisdom around what it might look like in the future and who knows what the new general's handbook is going to be thinking, but um, why Skaven? Let's go back for a second. And yep. you said you always play Skaven. Why yeah. Skaven? Why do you commit to Skaven? And why did you take it to the, the, the premier tournament in Australia to crown the master? Yeah. Okay. So why Skaven? That's a question that goes back over a decade to, uh, you know, little Kieran as a 13-year-old going into the old games workshop. Um, and I was playing Lord of the Rings at the time. I'm not sure if you recall, they used to have those, uh, the magazines that would get at like the Australia Post, like for $2, you get a Lord of the Rings figurine. Um, I'd play my older brother and uh, he, would, he would always have, in hindsight, he would have like a 1,500 point army against my 200 points of goblins. And I'm like, aha, he wins again. I'm like, how do you, how do you win this game? He's so good. He's a master. <laughs> um, so I used to play, I, I used to do Lord of the Rings to start with. And then eventually I just wanted to try a new game. Um, at the time, the, uh, the person at the shop was, gave me a little hint. He said, oh, by the way, there's this thing calling, coming out called Island of Blood. I'm like, well, that sounds, that sounds pretty cool. Um, had a friend of mine who loves his elves. And so uh, we ended up splitting. We didn't even split a box of Island of Blood because back in the day, you really needed the physical book because apps didn't exist. Um, so we ended up getting two Islands of Blood. I took all the Skaven. He took all the elves. Um, and then someone else wanted elves. So he split one with me and I took all of his Skaven. And suddenly I've got a box of like 400 clan rats and ogres and like just the whole hordes there. <laughs> um, I actually hope they bring that box back because you've got Old World coming soon. And I could see that as a cheeky way to get people back into fantasy battles, re-release -re a couple of those boxes because that was such a good one. By the way, Games Workshop, please bring it back and please make the rat ogres the one from that box. 
Like I'm not a fan of the current rat ogres. The 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 Isle of Blood rat ogres are just so much better. It, it was a great box. Um, I do miss the uh, my one of my favorite units back then was the Poison Wind Mortar, which is like one of the only Skaven units to really get uh, removed from that era. Um, but I would I would if I had Poison Wind Mortars now, I would put them back in my list because that would just help so much with those ranged castles. It is it is uh, <laughs> a great piece. Um, and the the randomness back in fantasy was a uh, you think people think Skaven was a uh, random in AOS in fantasy it was wild. <laughs> Like to give you an example, like at least from my side as the goblin side, the fanatics used to get released, I think, from the back of a unit and they would charge mm. through the current unit of goblins. So that actually impact and actually do do damage to your own unit before doing damage to your own. And I remember the craziness of Doom uh Doom Wheels and Skaven Magic, and it was wild. So yeah, yeah. currently Age of Sigmar is much more contained compared to the old fantasy battle Skaven for sure but yeah and so i that was a that was a very long time ago and uh what happened was last christmas i went to go visit my my parents in sydney and my mom was like oh i've got this box of stupid rats that you've had here for like 10 years it's in a garage there's nothing happened to it and my mom she wanted to throw it out um and i actually said no 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 look i'll bring it back to melbourne um let me see and it's all on squares um i brought it back and then i went to go sell it on ebay and i was like i wonder what the tournament scene's looking like these days Nice. um i couldn't couldn't sell the army and then uh interesting enough so border war last year was my first uh gt and so this was sort of the one year uh anniversary they just had last week um of gt so um and then i had a little i had one one short one day before it and yeah and so that's kind of how i got back into it i was like you know what these rats were too fun um and so i just uh converted them up i had to get a few new models and uh i was good to go because the great thing about skaven was my army from the bloody uh like the 2000s is somehhow still legal nothing's changed <laughs> Because your, <laughs> because your models haven't been updated. So I still got the latest. I've still got the latest sculpt. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to go down that route because it actually hurts me. And um, I was joking to someone the other day because Beast Chaos got a whole bunch of new models through 40k Kill Team, and I'm like, mm. oh, maybe maybe 40k Skaven will come out, and you get a whole bunch of new kits from that. And like people just like grumble, grumble. But also, I'd actually be really happy for new Skaven models. I, I want new Skaven models, but I would almost be sad to see like the old Skaven models like phasing out. There's something there's there is something almost so nostalgic about having models that are like decades older than everything else on the table. Um, but like your acol I, I, like your acolytes that are older than you. Yeah, literally, there are, there are models that are, you can still buy from GW that are older than me, which is insane. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to go down that, that. that That'll just become a whinge fest. But I do want to sure. point out something that you just mentioned, which I thought was fascinating for someone who's listening and to me, is that Border War that literally just happened last weekend is your one-year anniversary. So first off, you know, hmm. congratulations, happy anniversary. But it's hmm. interesting that you have only been in our scene for a year. But you mm. were then invited to the top 16 best of the best tournament, which when you look at who was invited, right? And I actually might bring up a photo because I was going to bring this up later on. Um, this was uh, the way the Masters played out. And you can see that it was like a, almost like a knockout kind of final, right? So it wasn't a traditional mm. five game tournament. And, you know, if you lost, you could still make your way. It was like a best of the best knockout. And for anyone who is outside of Australia, um, at least 50% of those names are highly experienced, highly 
well, I mean, obviously they're all well respected, but you've got people like, you know, uh, Matt Tyrrell, Joel Graham, Joel McGrath, like there's a whole bunch of names here. Dave Kerr, obviously, who have been in our scene almost since like first edition or second edition, established names. Yet here you are 12 months into our hobby, COVID restricted because, you know, tournaments really only have started to kind of bubble up and we've had restrictions on the size. Yet mm. you've gone in and gotten an invitation. So, like, how was it for you to pick up Skaven and, and, and do so well so quickly? Like, what was the – how'd you do it? Um, look, I think, I mean, even outside of uh, even outside of AOS, I've always had an obsessive nature on whatever whatever is my main focus of that game at the time that I, I go deep into a competitive space. Um, so whether that was Dota, League of Legends, Magic the Gathering – um, whatever it was, I tend to choose one thing and then just drill super hard into it. Um, and with regards to it being Skaven, I've always, I've always enjoyed the counter meta armies. There's something much funner about playing from a counter meta position. Um, so, and Skaven is al almost one of the perfect counter meta armies because one, very few people understand how its mechanics works fundamentally to its core, which does give you an advantage. Um, but two, um, similar to Cities of Sigma, it actually has a huge amount of variability, which means that if you are looking to get hyper-competitive, there is some weird angles that you can take that people wouldn't even imagine possible by combining certain combinations. Um, and so, yeah, just really just really drilling down. Um, and over the last year, I've, I do have a big element of whenever I play a game, if I make a mistake or there's a key thing that I'm doing wrong, I really do try to commit it to memory as to like, okay, that was a mistake. Let's 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 try not to do that next time, and really start to, from each game, try not uh, try not to look at the game as a loss, but ask yourself like, why did I lose? Did this unit actually do what it needed to do? Did the thing that I actually thought, like sometimes you think a unit was doing well, and then you actually look at it and you go, wait a minute, it actually did nothing. It just kind of sat there the whole game, and so really critically analyzing each game post to refine the list. Um, Plus, as much as you can, and this is a bit of a horrible thing to say, but try to avoid netlisting. <laughs> um, because as soon as you get into netlisting, um, uh, you stop learning for yourself and you stop, you stop, you, you, you see, the, the thing I find with netlist is they see the meta of yesterday, not the meta of tomorrow. And if you're playing a counter army like Skaven, you need to be countering the meta of tomorrow. By the time it's already here, it's too late for you to be countering it because the good players are already onto the next thing that's countering the meta of today. Um, and so... Yeah, just, just a case of really critically analyzing each game. Um, try not to beat yourself up after each game as well. I see a lot of players, when they lose, they get very they get very disheartened by it. Um, if it makes anyone feel better, when the new Skaven book came out, I was on a nine-loss streak when the new Skaven book came out, trying to, trying to figure out what in the hell actually works in this new book. And the weird thing was, it was a stronger book than the old one. Yet I still was on a nine loss streak um, purely because it was new. The combinations weren't known and the, the mechanics of what actually took the army from good to great really weren't figured out until three to six months in um, where people worked out. You can string super long lines with clan rats. You can bounce between Norholes. Um, that the Vermin Lord Warbringer is actually just a huge Chad and you should take it in every army. But, you know, like things like that um, really weren't figured out till later. So yeah, just uh, a combination of just analytical thinking, trying to learn from each game and trying to beat yourself up and get better after every game. And most importantly, enjoy yourself. Um, I think there was a an early uh, early coach video that I watched a, a while back when I was getting that. On that note, coaches videos. Uh, uh, I've watched every coach video, um, especially for this game ones, Joel Graham's one, uh, Matthias's ones, um, like, even reaching like, out. 
to the Dan Brewer. Like I remember doing a video yep. back in first edition where we did some tactical stuff on the table. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it. Like literally Dan Brewer. I, I, so I was watching even the early ones. Um, had a chat with uh, Rohit as well. Um, so, um, you know, learning from people who are, you know, in, you know, are great in the past and trying to study and why they did the things they do um, to then sort of progress through and, yeah, you eventually learn the mechanics, learn some of the janky things. And uh, yeah, so definitely watching some videos, watching some content and actually talking with other players about what is competitive. Try not to talk about what's not uncompetitive, what doesn't work and just going into whinge territory. Think about what actually works um, and how you can improve. And yeah, and then just do that over and over. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's AOS um, or anything outside in life. This is a, It's a good strategy to get good at anything in life, really. All right. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you about Skaven very shortly, like to get into a bit more of the weeds, but I do, I want to pull you up for a second, right? Because yep. you, you know, you do learn more from your losses than your wins. Um, yep. And often sometimes, you know, the dice go well, sometimes they don't go well. Um, pr probability and understanding and repetition. And you talked earlier about even, um, you talked a lot about Skaven being your own army, uh, your only army, and so the one that you you play often. And through that process, you you learn its limitations. You gain experience to make better decisions at tournaments. But what mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you before we get into actually like your thinking around Skaven, preparing for the Masters, talking about the book and the way you're currently seeing it, is how do I get better at doing that analysis because as you said some people mm. get really upset when they lose they don't want to talk about it they pack up their models they might go have a couple of drinks um but from your experience from video games and from from warhammer what advice would you give me to to better understand or like analyze my my losses or my victories mm. um no no for sure um so advice on doing it. So the, I guess the first thing would be is to separate out the the, the what you did and the result. Um, so the best example I can give of that is if you have a strategy that wins seventy five percent of the time, you could and you lose you're losing still twenty five percent of the time. So you can do everything right and still lose the game. It does not mean you did the wrong play. In fact, you took the winning line. And once you can understand the math, and sometimes you'll do the winning line and you'll lose three or four games in a row, and you'll be like, wow, this is the worst. But if you can understand the math behind it and you go, actually, I had a 75% chance of hitting it each time. And that was the that was the one critical, like key piece play that actually held everything together. You can do, you can lose the game and still be happy that you brought the game to a 75% result. And I think the time where you can get a little bit more upset is when you do a, a proper misplay is where you end up taking an action where it's like, when you run the math afterwards, you go, wow, I only had like a 15% chance of actually winning with that. Um, when I actually could have done something else, which had a 60, 65% chance of winning, um, that's when it's truly a misplay. Not when you did the high probability play, it just didn't turn out in your favor. And um, yeah, so in terms of analyzing it, um, I think to a certain degree, if you're on things like TTS, um, you can record your matches if you want. Um, it might sound a bit weird, but you can record your matches afterwards and just send it to someone else who's not you because you can only see one thing and ask someone else, if you were in this position, what would you have done? And you'd be surprised mm. how many people would say, I would have deployed way back here. I would have, I would have went right up here. Um, even for some of the matchups I had at Masters, I had a chat with some of my mates and one of my mates who's uh, very, very good at this game, but it doesn't um, play in the competitive um, space. Um, he was the only person who gave me the uh, the counterplay option. Like Everyone said one thing. He said, no, I would do this. And I'm like, 
this guy beats the crap out of me every single time I play him. Um, if he says that there's something here in doing that, I should look at it. And in, in the end, that was what I did. So I think in terms of helping you understand the analysis, um, just don't be afraid to ask for feedback. Um, if you need to run like the math sides of things, just you can record it, you can take notes and you can do the math later if you need to. Um, yeah, and just definitely don't beat yourself up between the difference between the outcome being bad and the probability of the outcome being bad. They're two, they're two very different things. Um, and it's, it's very easy to beat yourself up on an outcome. You know, uh, you know, some great players who are 5-0 players sometimes go one and four in a tournament. It happens. Um, it's not because they were a bad player. Sometimes the dice just weren't on their side, but they knew they took the winning line and just they just happened to roll the 20% uh, the loss four games in a row. It happens. And I think part of this, to, to bring it to the Skaven discussion, because that's obviously great great lessons regardless if you play Skaven or not. And I know anyone mm -hmm. who's listened to me talk about it, like I did a great video um, on deployment, I talk a lot about taking photos of your deployment. Like if, if, if there's two photos that I always take, it is a photo with my opponent and I always take a photo with my deploy of my deployment because yep. I want to see where I deploy, what I did that worked really well, maybe something that I shouldn't have done differently. And as I go through the analysis, I go, oh, actually, I probably should have dropped them back a little closer because I underestimated how fast they would be and, you know, board position or maybe just didn't have enough bodies on the objective. So I needed to position X amount of bodies and make sure I use CP here or whatever it is, I can kind of start to see visually. I'm a visual kind of person. So you see it unfold. That's that's always been a, a powerful tool, at least in my toolkit. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think deployment, you know, I've heard it called turn zero, and I do actually believe in that. It is almost worth as much as a, as a whole turn in itself. Um, I think when it comes to deployment, a lot of people, they don't think about it. I know it sounds a bit cruel, but they just kind of go, whoop, 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 whoop. but it is really one of the key pivotal things that sets it up. And um, and we'll get into this later. Deployment is actually what gives Skaven its strength in defense. Um, because if you're letting multiple units get hit per turn, you're losing the game. The defense of Skaven is the fact that because you can either use MSU or Clan Rat screens to block out very long lines, um, you can have 3,000 points of your opponent running into your front line. And guess what? They're killing 100 points of Clan Rats. You can, you can have 10,000 points of you know melee guys out there. You're killing 100 points of Clan Rats. And I'm limiting them at that. Where if you if you mess up your deployment and they hit two packs of clan rats and a PCB screen and some PCBs, you don't have enough units to take five turns of fights like that. Um, and you can often see that mistake happening in the deployment phase where I think almost people aren't being scaven enough. They're, they're they're too defensive in their deployment. And I don't say defensive in like a in a bubble way. They're trying to be too normal. Um, if if you look at a lot of my deployments, I deploy like literally the far border like it's like okay you're over there my entire army is all the way on this side okay like oh i think you're gonna alpha me i'm literally on the back two inches of my board like i'm not like mm, maybe i should have one of these guys up front as a hedge no no no. the strategy is back we are back we're <laughs> we're right at the edge uh, we're maximizing that gap um and so really just thinking about what the opponent is trying to do and where you can be that is the total opposite of that to maximize it and don't try to like sit in some comfortable average Skaven is not a comfortable average army. It is a uh, extreme army in all senses. <laughs> and, and that's the benefit, right, of when you're playing an off-meta army. By the way, PCB being plague sensor bearers. Oh. If you're not, yes. if you're if you're not down with the lingo from the the, yeah, the, the, the streets of the chat. 
<laughs> the, the streets of the under empire uh word word to your warp stone uh that's it i'll, I'll ne never do that again um where was i going with this where was i going with this like so so dan brewer was one of my um frequent opponents in in especially like mm. uh, the first and second version of age of sigma um dan took a bit of a break but i remember dan being so unconventional with the way he moved moved his bodies i remember mm. him being very uh anti-movement trays because you know yes it'll speed things up a little bit but he felt that you know by putting yourself on a movement tray you really restrict the movement of skaven and the flow of having as you said the clan rats and being able to board control with um untraditional shapes as opposed to the little clouds that a lot of people love hmm. so on that note um I, I I've seen that video and actually there was a big learning point for me on that because I used to use tight movement trays. Um, and one of the biggest differences where I started winning in Skaven was removing movement trays. But to take his lesson one step further, because I remember him saying movement trays makes you lazy. I'm going to say lazy movement trays make you lazy. So um, I ended up designing and printing out movement trays like this. So these are exactly one inch apart. So the main problem is that if you've got your, your clan rats in a, a 20 by 20 bundle, you're only taking up that much room. With these, within 20 seconds, I can form a line of 20 clan rats that's about 32 inches long. So I'm still getting the maximum benefit while still being legal, still using movement trays to make it quicker, but getting like not not neutering your strength as a result of having to use movement trays. Um, now, of mm. course, you're not, sometimes you're not going to be in a straight line. That's okay. I make these four long. So I go straight line, bend, straight line, bend. Um, and that lets you play at speed while keeping your brain for, you know, the more important things of winning the game. Um, but I do agree that uh, stacking all your stuff into tight movement trays, is, it's not how you win on Skaven. No, Skaven, like with my gits, it's actually okay with the clouds because I want to maximize the amount of attacks, especially when you could do mortals on your attacks and, you know, you got yeah. like sneaky snufflers and I got like 12 inch bubbles. So I want to compress them as much as possible. But Skaven is such a very different army. You don't need that. And really you dominate from board presence, being able to spread out. And you've got so many great movement tricks that you can reposition your army so quickly. So I love those call outs. The other call that I was going to quickly make was around the retreat mechanic. You know, Skaven does so well retreating. And yeah, your Master Molder can retreat. Um, but even, as you said, like, I, I don't care if clan rats die. I remember seeing, like, Dan especially would, you know, maybe two clan rats left. He'd always retreat them. And this is well before Rally even came out. Because hmm. two clan rats can annoy you on an objective. They can tag and pin you in a combat that you want to get out of. It's going to take you an extra combat. Or it's going to soak up some shooting that uh, would normally go somewhere else. You know, really thinking about your tools and thinking about the sacrifice and not always uh, using the traditional conventional buff up your uh, your troops, send them in for combat, grind out the win, move along and keep fighting and scoring your battle tactics. You are playing 4D chess. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's a, there's a certain way you can look at you can look at clan rats as a clock on the table. There are, there are a clock that says, I have 60, 60 wounds worth of time before I have to do something, otherwise I'm going to die. Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of the time, especially if I miss my key spells, like you miss your death frenzy, you miss your more, more war power and all sorts of stuff, I'm not afraid to just send one clan rat screen running straight forwards and everything else running straight back. And you, for, you, you instantly force like an, a 16-inch, 18-inch gap in the middle of the table that says, you know what? 
my spells were so bad that I'm willing to just cut off 150 points worth of clan rats and we're going to reset for the next turn. You'll get you'll get two points, but that's okay because if I kill you, I'm going to be 10 points ahead anyway. So I'm willing to give up two, three, four points for the reset and then just absolutely retreating back. And I think I, I do agree in that it's, it's something that a lot of newer players don't think enough of. They think, ah, oh, I, I failed my spells. Well, I better go in to die anyway. And they just, they just charge straight in. Um, it's funny you say that, Kieran, because when I reflect on my Skaven games, and I have played a lot of Skaven games since the new book, um, I've had a lot of opponents pick up Skaven. The games that I that I win, and often the ones that I win very quickly or easily, it's often the ones where the opponent is too aggressive. They're so they're too excited to get Thankful up into my face, turn one to burninate. They will uh, skid a leap, or they'll use like the the Vermin Lord to teleport out of you know through a gnar hole in turn one, and they will just throw all their toys at me as as much as possible. And if I can just soak up that attack. And I could then likely double them because, you know, they'll take the top of yeah. turn one, they'll do surfboard, all that stuff. I I usually have enough tools to be able to, to remove them and then dominate the board, as you said, the clock. And, you know, I do find that a lot of people can be, can be too aggressive. There's reasons to do it, but at the same time, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, and it's a... It... I think something people forget, it's a five-turn game. It's not a three-turn game. <laughs> like if it's a three-turn game, go in, go in. But you got you got five turns. Um, and normally if you're an aggressive army, the game goes for three turns, which means that you've got two room two turns worth of like <laughs> like dancing for the first two turns to really get things correct before you're actually forced to engage and actually play the the three-turn game that is uh, an aggressive army. So talk to me about Skaven right now. We are currently, mm -hmm. if you're listening to this, we are in the current middle of the season two of the General's Handbook 2022. We've gone past the Galatian veteran meta, which you and I both agree was terrible for us, given, <laughs> well, not us, you, I'm not Skaven, but like, you know, <laughs> a lot of your troops being battle line and just being able to delete those clan rats, plague sense mm -hmm. of errors, anything that was battle line. We're now sitting currently in a meta of Galatian veterans, which rewards a lot of non-named small heroes. And you have a lot of those, which is really cool. Yeah. We've obviously had so many new armies. We've had eight new battle tomes this year alone. So where, where does Skaven stand currently, whether it's at a meta, whether it is, you know, what you're seeing competitively, like are we in a shooting meta and you're doing really well? Like where do, where do we stand yeah, I mean, look, I mean, one of the nice things with Skaven is Skaven has always stood somewhere between uncompetitive and reasonably competitive for a very long time. And that is a, an artifact of it's got such a wide book that no matter what the meta is, there's generally something in Skaven that's going to work well. And interesting enough, the same things that work well now are not necessarily the same things that worked six months ago. We're not necessarily the same things that worked six months before that. Um, the best example I can give on that would be Thankful. Um, I think Thankful right now is probably one of the strongest units in Skaven and possibly even the game. Um, but, and, and I think, and that's mainly because it may sound strange. We're in the Glacian champion meta. Um, and now you think, well, we're in the GV meta before. Yes. But because we are in the GV meta, no one could take um, hordes or even not even hordes, just even elite infantry because of bounty hunters. Now, a lot of that's gone. If you look at the, the 16 list that we're at um, masters, None of them were monster trucks. 
um, not that I know of. Um, and no. the main thing that Thankful's really bad against is Gargans, and Gargans isn't something that I'm necessarily, you know, teching for. Um, you're not seeing, you're not seeing eight dragons. You're not seeing monster trucks. You're not seeing these types of armies, which means, and I think that's because because Galatian champions are good. Most Galatian champions are designed to buff infantry pieces nearby. So as a, so, other armies have a power pair of Galatian champion plus infantry things that protect champion and get buffs from champion. Um, and that's pretty much, you know, as you saw in, in Masters, almost every army had that level of power pairing, which means that Thankwall suddenly becomes one of the best units in the whole game. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably one of the, the one of the main meta shifts. I'd say that Thankwall is pretty well core to anything any list right now. That being said, there was a guy who went 5-0, I believe he was in Russia, with a full pure Eshet list. Vermin Lord Deceiver. Yes, like, I saw slings, that. Four assassins and all gutter runners. Now, how he did that, that's a that's you're gonna have to ask him because I have, <laughs> I have no I, idea. I, um, I did I did wake up to that list because someone sent it to me and I'm like, what? Yeah, I, I get it. I do. Um, and, and again, it goes back to what I was saying before about the way that you have health in Skaven is via making it so your opponent can only hit two to th one to two units a turn. So if you can make it so they can only hit one to two packs of gutter runners and everything else is skidded out in the back or elsewhere, that's how you get your health. Um, and in order to run that list, that would have to be the case, um, as well as being largely alpha and then double turn one, two and things like that. Um, so I'd say the, the nice thing with Skaven right now is almost everything is viable, but it is it is certainly hard to build that 5-0 meta. I don't think there is a 5-0 meta stomper like this is the list, um, Skaven list at the moment. Um, if there is any two main pieces I would always consider for me personally, it would be Vermin Lord Warbringer and Thankwall. Um, the two of them together are a very strong core. Combine that with uh, uh, 60 Clanner, so three packs of 20. You've got one thousand one hundred points. We're, we're getting into your we're getting getting into your list. I swear oh, I'm going to bring it up. Uh, before we get into the list, I do want to ask you: when you went into masters and preparing for the masters, the meta, what mm -hmm. were your considerations? Because then after that, I'm going to reveal your list. Yeah. Okay. So considerations going into masters. Um. So now whether whether it was uh whether it's opponents and the the army archetypes whether it is I'm going to face a lot of hordes a lot of IDK whether it's going to be particular factions or builds or um even just the battle plans and what you you know like how do you construct this list as you said a very deep Skaven book list. Yeah. I, okay. So the first thing with masters is looking at the masters players. Most of the people at Masters are number one in a faction. And what was interesting is different factions for different people. So one of the main considerations going in is you're probably going to have to face anything. Like, like they like, and, and to that degree, Australian Masters was very unique, where of the 16 players, there was 14 different books, Skaven being the most popular. There was two Skaven players. Um, so there you go. So, so one, one factor is you're going to have to have some level of variability. Um, that was compounded by, um, and this is probably going a little bit uh, too in-depth for, for some people, but Joel Graham was my round one placement because of the way the seeded tournament works. Um, he's a very, very strong player in the Australian scene. Um, and more famously, he has a ton of armies and does well in just about anything he picks up. So it wasn't even a case of me being like, ah, yeah, that guy, he plays KO. I know he's going to play KO. I'll counter KO. He, he, he's, he's won tournaments on Gits. He's won tournaments on Slaves. He's won tournaments on uh, IDK. IDK yep. um, like, so to that degree, it really was quite hard because I had to pick something that was 
going to be able to take a variety of armies, um, not just from the tournament, but even from round one. That being said, they, I, know, I know he has a strong inclination to Gits at the time, as well as IDK and Slaves. And so those were probably the three main focus groups, um, at which point Thankful with four flamethrowers goes well into all three of those. ID, IDK, you got Reavers and, and Reavers and Thralls, just boat up and flame them. Gits, I mean, it's a no-brainer against Gits. It's probably the single best thing you can take against Gits in, in, in any army. Um, and then Slaves is a bit of a tricky one because Varengard, it's bad against. But chosen and chosen, it will just murder the chaos. Not knights, Warrior. the warriors. Yeah, the warriors. Um, it, it'll it'll take out all of them. And by having plus four to its unbind next to a norhol, you can actually deal with cabalists quite well. They get three dice instead instead of two, but you can actually take them on. And if you can drop their levitate and 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 make it so they can't fly over, again, as I was saying before. Skaven is all about trying to force your opponent to play a clean game while you get to play a dirty game. You can teleport, you can fly around, you can fight on death, you can set up screens. They have to hit your front line and go in the front way. Um, and if you can drop their levitate, then slaves is has to be... If you can drop levitate, slaves is actually one of the cleanest armies there is. They have to go front first. That's all they have. Yeah. Um, yeah. They have no have no teleport anymore. They can teleport back, but that's a whole thing in itself. Yeah, yeah, they, they're very much moving forward. And I guess, as you said, like Chaos Warriors with their Nurgle banner, which everyone knows is very strong, you don't care. You can burninate them with four, uh, four Thankful pew, pew, pews, um, yeah. and you couldn't care less about the minuses. And, like, th those, those four slap. Um, and I guess it's interesting, right, because what you said is I can't list Taylor, basically. Like, you can anticipate the meta. You know, I'm likely to play Gits. I'm likely to play Slaves. There's a good chance someone's going to run Lumineth. There's a good chance that they're going to be playing these types of people. And you can either, and this is where, from a list construction, you can either build a list that's going to try to get ahead of the meta. But unfortunately, at a tournament, you know, sometimes you build a meta list and you just don't play those armies. You dodge Zinch completely because um, you only got five games. Alternatively, you just build a list and you know your list so well and you've practiced it so well that you are an off-meta choice and your opponent just doesn't know how to respond to you. Yeah. I think the only thing I could read from the meta if there was anything to read, as I discussed before, was that I was reasonably certain I wasn't facing big things. So I wasn't facing monster trucks, gargants, um, dragons, or things like that. So if I were thinking of those, things like warp lightning cannons work really well into that. Most notably, I had no warp lightning cannons. I had almost no ranged output at all um, because I didn't think I was going to be fighting the big, the big, you know, the, the big centerpiece thing. Um, and to that degree, uh, that was correct on the most part, other than a uh, techless, which I'm not very, you know, cannons are not very good against techless anyway. So um, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's obviously a meta choice right now with the general's handbook with Galatian veterans and, and, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people like Gargant players have moved away. Like it's, I played Gargant's recently and it is quite hard in this particular season. It's same is true with like the frost Lord on Stonehorn type builds. Again, it can be quite hard and, uh, you know, there's a couple of little um, Galatian veteran idiots you can pick, but it kind of takes away from the monster trucks that you keep talking about. Yeah. So let's get to the list and let's talk a little bit about what the list is, how it works, and like what's the thinking behind it. So for anyone who's listening to this in audio, um, it's take what's theirs and your triumph was inspired. Uh, you have a Vermin Lord Warbringer who's the general with the command trait Devious Adversary, uh, the, the Rust Cursed Armor and Flaming Weapon as the Universal Spell. 
you have Thankful and you've equipped Thankful with four warp fire projectors. Uh, I know this is what, a question that comes up all the time. Do I do two and two? Do I do four shooty? Do I do four combat? I'm sure you'll explain later why you chose what you chose. Uh, but Thankful also had Skitter Leap. The Gracier had Skitter Leap. Uh, your Gracier, your two Graciers, one had Skitter Leap, the other one had Death Frenzy and Leadership of the Alpha. Three units of 20 clan rats, uh, 10 plague sensor bearers, or as we now know, PCBs. Uh, you have a hell pit abomination. By the way, I played one of these for the first time recently, and I was actually really impressed with the hell pit abomination. It's slapped. I, 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 I underestimated it. I went in, I'm like, I actually was really impressed. Um, you also had the Vermintide, which I haven't seen on the table at all. So curious to hear about this particular endless spell. Warp Lightning Vortex, nice to see it back. And our Uber driver himself, Lolchen, the Soul Seeker, wrapped yep. up in a battle regiment at uh, 1,990 points, 134 wounds, two drops. Uh, only thing oh, I, which was left out is the warp grinder the, well. i was about to i was about to say that i'm like oh and i also forgot the warp grinder yes yeah, so the one warp grinder so how does this work what are the combinations what are you trying to achieve like talk to me through the thinking behind this list and the evolution of this list yeah so okay so there's a few there are quite a few different pieces and packages here that are quite uh complex but i will do my best to break them down as much as i can um so the evolution of this list, um, it actually started originally with CanCon. So at CanCon, I didn't quite have the same level of depth and knowledge of the meta and things like that. Like, I, In fact, Masters was the first time I've ever faced Cruel Boys. So I've officially ticked off the list of... Actually, no, I still haven't faced Bone Splitters. So there you go. Um, so there was still... I, I, I knew my army well, but I didn't know opponents' armies very well. So at CanCon, I ran a very similar list, but it was 40 Plague Sensor Bearers. The Warbringer drills clan rats. It's just good stuff on the table as punch as hard as you can. What I eventually learned was having good stuff that punches hard is great, but if you can't actually engage it into the main things that you need to engage it into, it really doesn't matter. Things will run away, things will shoot at you, and you'll just get whittled down. So this was almost, over time, I just kept chopping off little bits and little bits and adding in a little piece of tech that allowed more mobility with the sacrifice of power and uh, power and health. Um, and eventually it led to this, which has a few different things worth noting. So we'll go with the Warbringer first. Um, Warbringer just hits incredibly hard. Like we're talking like Kragnos level damage on this guy. Um, probably the main piece of tech there is Rust Cursed Armor. Most people do prefer the Warpstone Charm, which is the add one to the Rend uh, nearby. Rust Cursed Armor is plus one to his armor save. Now, the reason for that is the Graciers underneath both have a... Th they're, well, they're GC, so they can't be shot at. And as Master Clan, they have a three-plus bodyguard into nearby units. The Plague Sensor Bearers are normally in reserve, and the Hell Pit's tanky enough that he'll, he'll handle himself. So if you go into shooting lists, they're looking at your two big guys at the back. They're not looking at Clan Rats. They're looking at Warbringer. They're looking at Thankwall. Now, the problem is, if you don't have that armor, the Warbringer's a four-up save, and so mm. is Thankwall. But you can only find a tower one of them. And whichever one you don't find a tower, guess which one's getting shot. <laughs> um, and so by having that extra plus one to save, it means that if I am going into an alpha shooting army, the Warbringer is three up. You can you can turn one, find a tower, Thankful, and Thankful can issue one command twice, which means they're both three up ignoring Rend 1. So equally tough, which means that there's no obvious choice for the opponent to shoot. Um, mm. So the Rust Curse armor is really just an anti-shooting tech, as well as 
The times where I lose is when the Warbringer dies before he actually gets to go in. It's never that he doesn't do enough damage when he's in. He dies before he gets there. Um, so with again that earlier on, I used to just be like, ah, oh, Ren three, no brainer. Just you know, pick up pick up anything and it dies. But then it didn't matter. He's still picking up every everything and they'll die. But now he's doing it more consistently because he's still alive by the time he gets there. Um, plus, if now at a three up save, you stack. Mystic Shield, Finest Hour, All Out Defense, and suddenly he's like a negative one or something insane. Um, you know, of course it goes back to a three up, but it just means that even with a Ren three, they're not taking him down. Um, moving on to the uh, Thankful with uh, four Warp Fire Projectors. So again, to what I was saying before, the meta choice for me was that I took the belief that there was not going to be big boys. It was going to be small stuff. Now, I understand that a lot of people do like the two and two. I'm I've ran the two and two before. I understand its place in the meta, but the meta right now, I believe, is tipped towards four warp fires because, as I was saying before, the main threats I'm worried about were Gits. Gits have the squigs and the bounders and all that. They're all two wounds each. They're not one, they're two. Um, Slaves to Darkness with uh, Chaos Warriors and Knights and Baron Guard. They're all too tanky for one flamer to take them out. And even in the event, people go, well, what if you go into a big thing and you need to do the punching damage? I'm not winning that matchup because Thankful's punching a Gargan. Like, it's just not happening. Like, Thankful's adding four, five, six damage to the Gargan, sure. But I'm winning that matchup because my Warbringer, my PZBs, the Clan Rats, the Endless Spells, they did their thing. Thankful's just an add-on in that matchup. Whereas with four Warpfire Throwers, in the matchups where it counts, he is your win condition. You can almost be like, everything else is protect him. He will win this matchup alone. Um, and there's so many matchups where four Warpfire Throwers will... If, if he lives for five turns and gets to do his thing over five turns, he you win the game. That's the win condition in itself. Um, so can, can I just pause you on Thankful for a second? So yep. you talked about the current sitting in the meta and why you took the four warp fires. Is there a world where you see yourself switching to two and two or even four, four offensive um, Thankwills? Like, would it would it take... Like the start of the the season, start of season three. Uh, sorry, uh, AOS three was monster focused general's handbook. Mm. If we yep. were in that time again, would you consider flipping it, or would you just drop him altogether? Personally, I would probably drop him altogether. Only in that, I think if I was starting to go to full fists, thankful. Well, we have full fist thankful. It's called Vermin Lords. Um, like they kind of they kind of are that melee threat at that price point. Um, in particular, Vermin Lord Screech, which is the Master Clan one. So you're still getting the Master Clan benefit from Thankful, but you're then getting better damage. He's got a great spell, um, good mobility. I do see a world where the two two can work. In particular, where I first took the two and two was to deal with GCs that were protected by weak chaff. So the idea there is it's not so that you can punch on a Gargan. It's so you can walk up. Let's say Belladonna and Belladama. Belladama and the Wolves is a great example. You can walk up, you flamethrower the Wolves. Oh, look, Belladama is now exposed. Now I can run in and just smash her. Where before, if you just had full flamethrower or full um, fist, you couldn't actually do that. So I do see a world where two and two works. I have seen people who run for melee fists, and uh, uh, congratulations to them. It's a it's a it's a hilarious build, especially with the boat. You can go 28 inches and then just punch on in the back in the background, which is hilarious. Um, uh, but it's 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 not my um not my not my type of army. But I wouldn't be surprised if someone does bring it to a um you know a competitive event and does well. 
I, I agree with you. I think when you're looking at four of the melee Thanquils, you're probably better off going with a Vermin Lord as opposed to taking Thanquil. But you obviously do lose the magical supremacy that Thanquil can bring and the the ward. Like yeah. part of Thanquil's charm is just how hard it can be to take him out. He is a jerk. So something something to note with Thanquil is, as I said before, if you can make Thanquil live over five turns, you're doing well. But you don't want to make him live by having him sitting in your back corner, scared out of his mind, because that's not winning you the game either. So Thankful heals D3 per combat phase. Now, if you can get him hurt early on from fighting, not ideally just him miscasting and hurting himself like an idiot, um, then if you think that if every combat is D3 health, that means that he's healing 20 health over the course of a game. He's on 14 health, which mm. means that he's actually got, in theory, if you can play him over five turns, He's got the same health as a Mega Gargan and a five-up ward save. He's actually tankier than a Mega Gargan over five turns. I'm just booing for people who are, who are listening. I'm booing you. Uh, but, like, yeah, it's a great way to think about it, right? And if you happen to fight yourself out of combat, you can obviously heal. If you wanted to double down with some spare points, you could bring in more Life Swarm if you wanted to build into that. Yeah. Not that I probably so, would recommend the Emerald Life Swarm for, for Thankful, but yeah, it, I just wanted to explore if there was a world, because everyone does take, a lot of people do take the four warp flyer projectors, but would there be a world where you would swap them out? And I'm hearing some examples of where you might go two and two. Yeah, so the two and two, especially with the triple master clan, one of the things you can do, as I was saying, is you boat up 18 inches, you walk up 10, you flamethrower, you land a nine inch charge, and then you get to do a master clan pile, then you get to pile, then you get a two-inch punch. So you we're talking about like we're talking about like a 40-inch range on you being able to punch someone, um, which in, into certain matchups is fantastic. Um, however, it would be into a matchup where people are running like MSU style skitter. Um, if people are running hard castles and they're not letting you into the castle, I wouldn't be running it into that. But again, if something if some sort of meta evolved where like MSU style fighting was the way to go, I think two and two would be the way to go in that instance. Cool. For anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about MSU being minimum size units. So if everyone just takes a lot of like small five woo five five model or ten model idiots as opposed to reinforcing them, that that's where potentially you'd think of the two and two. And just if you don't mind me asking, uh, I'll let you explain it. But what's the combination with Thankwell hmm. uh, and the boat, aka Launch and Launcher. the Soul Seeker? Yeah, so uh, Launch and the Soul Seeker is probably, it, it, I mean, in my mind, some people don't do this. In my mind, if you're taking Thankwell, you're taking boat. Like they are a yeah. power pair made in heaven. Um, if 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 the boat goes up in cost, it is purely because Thankwell was too good at using it. No, <laughs> like, no one else is really using it except him. Um, so what it is, is it allows you to move a wizard. You, you, you summon the boat and you can move a wizard 18 inches. You move the boat 18 inches and the wizard can hop on the boat, go 18 inches and hop off the boat on the other side. You take one wound for doing so, but you've got 14 of them in a five up ward and in healing D3. So who really cares? Um, but more importantly is it's the only long movement like that in the game where you actually get to make a move afterwards. So it means that if, if you position the boat well, you're going 18 inches and then you're still moving 10, and then you're still flamethrowering 8. Um, one thing which I'll go into here, which is a bit of a, a secret Skaven tech for anyone listening, which is uh, not particularly obvious, but it's a very, very powerful trick that I use. So when you send the boat up, thank, the Thankful must get out of the boat outside of 9 inches, but the boat can be in 9 inches. 
Because of the size of the boat and the three inches, you can put the boat at about six and a half inches away from the enemy with Thankful getting out at the, sorry, at between six and a half to nine with Thankful then getting outside of that zone. What it means though, is that in your movement, you move Thankful to about four inches away from the enemy. So you're in a, you're in a range for flamethrower, but here's the kicker. If you can set, position that boat all the way on the side of the map or something like that, where they're outside of unbind range, you get to do a flamethrower. If they, if they do a bad redeploy, you'll kill them. And if they don't, if they redeploy out, great. Often you can take the objective and move them off it. And then when it's the opponent's turn, because they're out of unbind range, you're still in range of the boat. And so you can now take the boat back into your army into safety. Um, so you don't. Actually, so you can actually move through the boat, stay within range of the boat, and then do your flamethrower and use it to move in both turns, which makes it probably one of the best mobility tools in the game. Um, but and it's hilarious that Thankful at the size, at the amount of wounds he is, fits on this tiny base yeah. that is somehow legal. <laughs> yeah, because you've because you've got to start within three inches of the boat, and uh, it has to be a wizard as well. So um, it does restrict you a fair bit. So three or six? Yeah. It's three. It's three, right? It, within, it's, within three, yeah. And yeah, it's. it's yeah. It, I was I was playing uh, against Sylvaneth uh, last weekend, and I'm always surprised that the uh, Warsong Revenant is like twice the size of Thankful, despite the Warsong being a GC, less than eight, less than 10 health, and uh, Thankful being 14 wounds, four up, five up, is like, yep, no, nah, I fit on this tiny little boat. <laughs> yeah. And the, the one thing I want to call out before we move into the other parts of the list is, um, again, this is for the newer folks. Uh, I'm sure people mm -hmm. listening to this who are more experienced know this the, the trick. But one of the other reasons why the Lolch and the Soul Seeker is, is powerful compared to, let's say, teleporting through your Gnar Hole is it's gusting you points, obviously, 50 points currently in the season, while a narhole is a free terrain feature. It's the ability to move after you um, after you teleport through the boat, where if you teleport through the narhole, you can't you can't move. So you're doing everything from outside of nine, which means that your charges, if you did an offensive build, is quite difficult. Um, it obviously means that your warp fire projectors are out, out of range. They're, they're eight, eight inches, inch. right? So, right? So you wouldn't be able to shoot if you came out of your gnar hole. Um, that's the trick here, So, uh, which is why Lolchen is so powerful. And it also allows you to, if you want to, teleport with the, the Vermin Lord using the gnar hole and use Thankwell to teleport with the boat. Uh, you could go double down or triple down if you wanted to do the Storm Friends, Storm Fiends, using the, mm -hmm. the, the tunneling grinder. And obviously yeah. you've got, you know, Skitter Leap, so you've got a lot of movement shenanigans, but it's the movement after the Lolchen that makes Thankwell the power pair. Yeah, absolutely. It's it lets him get into range. It's then moving in both phases. Um, it's it's it it's, it really is a power pair. Like I I I wouldn't take Thankful if Boat didn't exist. Um, it, they they really do match that well. Well, it got to a point actually that I would bring. So I was playing Stormcast when this book came out for the first time, and there was a lot of Skaven in my local community. I actually brought out. I was playing Stormcast at the time, and I brought out my Knight in Cantor. Because with the plus four to casting, and there's been times where Thankful was casting on a plus five because there was also Arcane Terrain Arcane. next to the Narhole, I just wanted that auto unbind because the, the Encantor has that once per game, I say no. And mm -hmm. when I say no to Thankful on that boat, just automatically unbinding it, it delayed the whole strategy. It delayed everything uh, that allowed me to capitalize. So um, it just shows you how important it can be. But that's such a rare... That's a rare thing, yeah. Skaven people. You don't have to worry about most armies auto unbinding. Although corn, corn being as popular as they are, um, yeah, 
might be a consideration. No, and that's, I mean, we'll get into this after if we need to, but my game four of Masters, that was one of the things that shut me down is Teclas just says no to boat. Um, of all my spells, of all Skittily, de- Dreaded Death Frenzies, everything, he know he knew that boat was the most dangerous thing I could possibly do. Took it out. Um, and then at Border War last weekend, I was playing against my mate, uh, Luca, um, and he knew that he had, uh, he took out the, not the boat, but the Skittle Leap instead, because he had the auto unbind on KO. Um, that's how important it was for him just to stop that teleport. Was He wasn't afraid of Warp Lightning Vortex and all, everything else that I can do. The boat and the teleport were the two things that he knew were the, the key uh, key pins to Skaven doing what they need to do. Um, yeah. Speaking of speaking of Skitter Leap on Thankwall, is that an insurance policy for uh, Longchen or if he's out of range or the you know the, the boat's been mm-hmm. unbinded and you can't recast it? Is that why you got Skitter Leap uh, as well? Uh, it's mainly for the Warbringer, actually. So you can't Skitter Leap Thankwall. He's the only, he's one of the few models in Skaven you can't Skitter Leap. Um, it's actually for the Warbringer. Um, so if you, so, Thankwall's got the boat. The Warbringer's got Skitter Leap. The Hellpit Abomination has the Norhol, and the Plague Sensor Bearers have the Drill. So it means that in the event that so the thing with this list is, if I need to alpha someone, if I'm going against a ranged castle, this list can alpha hit hit people with a pretty good consistency. Not amazing consistency, but enough that. If I was gonna, if I was gonna, you know, flip a coin and take the odds, you do it. Um, so yeah, it's really designed for the Vermin Lord Warbringer to get him to where he needs to be. Um, so that the whole combo is, yeah, Thank will cast boat. It's pretty hard to stop because it's on a plus four, plus five. Thank will can also cast uh, Skitter Leap. The Graciers can then just do whatever they need to do, um, and then you've got the other alpha pieces as they are required. Um, similarly, as I was uh, alluding to earlier. I'll often start with flaming weapon, dreaded death frenzy, death frenzy, and then if I if I miss my flaming weapon, dreaded death frenzy, and mystic shield, I won't skid a leap up the vermin lord. Instead, I'll send up a grace here, and I'll just go, yep, warp lightning vortex, gears of Gur, and then I'll probably take a norhole back to safety. Um, you know, being like, yep, I'll send up the clan rat, and I'll just reset. I'll I'll see you on turn two um, after my clan rats have died. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's cool. No, that's cool. It's just because obviously you've got two skitter leaps, and uh, I know some people don't like redundancy, and they would choose something maybe more, more offensive or something a little different for thankful. But it's good to hear why wor- you've chosen that. Yeah, something worth noting: the the Skaven, um, the Skaven spell laws are probably a little bit lacking, which is a bit of a weird thing because you would think they would have an amazing spell law um, pool to choose from. So the Graciers can only choose from three spells. Um, mm. And you've got Skittle Leap, which is just the teleport. You've got Death Frenzy, which I've got the, the great... Well, I've got, the Graciers pretty much never die, by the way. And the whole time I've played, they're always the last unit to die. Um, so the Death Frenzy is going to be there. The Skittle Leap is going to be there. The only other spell is Scorch, which I'm just not a, I'm not a fan of. I would, to the degree that I would actually rather just have redundancy on Skittle Leap over Scorch. Um, so if there was another spell I could take, I would take it. We used to have Warp Gale and stuff like that, which was one of the one of the best control spells in the game. Um, but that's been uh, taken out of the law. Is th- Thankful's not um, Thankful's not uh, uh, Scryer, is he? He's uh, Master Clan. No, he's Master Clan. He's a Gracier, so that's why he has to choose between Scorch, yeah, Skittle Leap, all- and Death Frenzy. He's also a massive abomination as a uh, as Thankful <laughs> as, as well, and Bone Ripper. Sorry. So, I mean, that being said, most of the Clan Scryer spells are either like shields or buffs for Clan Scryer units, which I have none of anyway. So. Even in the event I could take more, more war power, I would still be taking the the extra skitter leap. Um, it's also because uh, quite often the thankful and the warbringer will he'll boat up and teleport away, 
the core of my army being the clan rats, the sensor bearers, and the hell pit will hold the points, while the vermin lord and, and thank will just duke it out on some side of the map and start ripping through some stuff. And quite often what happens is once the enemy reacts to that, they send their army to it. I will then skittle leap him to the other side of the map, hop on the boat, go to the other side of the map, leave them trapped, you know, 28 inches away. And then by the time they get back to me, it's turn four, the game's done. They're, they're, their army's being torn into two with these guys bouncing around. So I do like having them as a pair that can bounce each other out. So you're almost using like Sylvaneth tactics where you will go into a combat and because most armies are not very fast armies, you can draw them to one side of the board and then focus on other parts of the objective or take them out of combats because it's going to take them too long to get in or charge. And, and hmm. I, I like one thing though, with the vermin Lord and the, the Warbringer and thankful are you, cause I've seen this played out bo both ways. And I, I think I know what I like. I sometimes I see them used as like two independent threat pieces where like one goes one side of the board, one goes to the other, almost like you're, you're forcing the issue and it's hard to, for as an opponent to go, well, where do I focus first? Or do you combine them together and concentrate your power by both Thankwell and the Vermin Lord to almost go in and smash the castle to concentrate your power in, in, in a center area? Like, how do you use those two tools? Because that's almost your, half your army mm. between those two. Yeah, for sure. And it's probably going to be one of those painful answers where it depends on the opponent. Um, and I think so that's actually at the core of one of the reasons why I think Skaven is often put in the hard bucket in terms of books is because it is so much, not only is it a counter meta army, but then you also have to understand what the opponent's trying to do to counter them. So the best example is if, if I see two equally strong things that are split like this, and they're sufficiently far away from each other. There's no point of sending one to one, one to the other. You should just go to one because you've got a 2,000 point army versus their 1,000 point army. Kill that. They'll die. You'll lose 300 points worth of stuff. And then you've got 1,700 versus the remaining 1,000. And then you'll win from there. However, I think where the mistake where people split it up is they'll split it up, but they haven't actually got enough damage to kill the things that they need to kill. And then they'll come in and go, bang, you know, thankful all, all the Vermin Lord Warbringer will be killed and you'll be very heavily neutered as a result. So I guess it comes down to one of those things where if I can look at a certain pocket and be like, if I send both there, I will kill what is there and not take damage in return as a result of killing what is there. I'll send them both to the same side. If my plan is to try to draw them to two separate sides, I would split them up, but I would split it up so defensively that either the warbring is going to be near a norhol or or thank was going to be near a norhol so that once once i pull them to two separate sides i will then join them back together um and be like hey, actually i'm over here now and you know i hopped on the boat and came across or, or the or took the norhol across um i think uh game three of masters was a good example of that where um i basically managed to draw the varan guard right into the deep corner and then thankful took uh, thankful took a boat the vermin lord warbringer took a norhol out and then suddenly I was all the way over at his home objective with all of my stuff. Um, Warp Lightning Vortex stops runs, drop that onto the Varangard, and then they can't run across, like they can't teleport like I can. So mm -hmm. by the time you got across the map, um, even though five turns of Varangard running and charging, you know, you know, 10 to 16 inches, he still wasn't able to connect to the key pieces that he needed to hit. So um, yeah, so hope that makes sense in terms of like when to split and when not to split. Um, no, it makes perfect sense. And I guess if you're an opponent listening to this and you come up against Kieran or someone like this, 
what I'm hearing is castling is probably not the best option. Um, if you can, if you can try to split them out and have a couple of offensive plays, especially if you've got the movement, like a lot of my armies at the moment have been like Forminators, Dragons, obviously Mega Gargants. So I've got those mobile, also powerful, multiple kind of threat pieces. So pulling you, pulling it apart will allow me to handle them one by one. I mm. fear I fear deeply if you were to concentrate both of them at one particular point that it, it, with the amount of wards and um, sometimes I know you can bodyguard and, and uh, pass off things to like your, mm. what are they called? The, not the, what's the, uh, Storm the, Vermin. The, like if you took yeah, the Storm yeah. Vermin, I know some people take a Storm Vermin to protect the Vermin Lord. Um, they can be really yeah. hard to take down. Yeah, and I, I think with that in mind, again, you, you almost think about Skaven as a very quick mobile melee castle. Like, it teleports and it wants to stay as one thing. Like, And and so you want to bait someone to one side, force a split, and go to um, go to the other side. I think with what you were saying about the castling thing, this is where Norhol strategy comes in, which is a whole other level of complexity to go into. So the idea is, I want to put my Norholes in a place where it's like, I know that you want to stop these Norholes, but if you've got half your thing here and half of your thing here, then then I've then I've done my job of splitting you into the two parts that I need to then go like, all right, which of these are the weaker two? Chop that one. Um, and so, but if you put them too close, they'll be able to stop both of them, but still maintain one like bubble to do so. Um, so it's a, it's a bit was of a gonna, juggle. I was going to ask you about your nah holes now that we're talking about it. And I think the lesson that I learned uh, very quickly with Skaven is, yeah, I can, tr again, depending on the type of army, but yeah, I can try to block out your Nar holes, especially if you're putting two in my deployment zone. But then you've got, you've got Skid Elite because you've got Lodge and the Soul Seeker. It's almost like I actually ignore the, the um, I ignore them altogether um, yep. because like, I, yeah, I can try to defend them, but there's so many other teleports in this army that I, I need to anticipate. And for sure. And that's and that's where the hell pit abomination in my mind comes in. So if if you're playing against someone who's going to not respect the um Norholes, the hell pit with double death frenzy and the mystic shield coming through, it will come out of a Norhol with the Master Clan charge. I've got a 65% chance of generally getting it in out of a Norhol, even though I don't have a command troop near it. Um and if it gets into a, a meaty pack of units with two death frenzies and a mystic shield, you're not killing it. If you are killing it, it's gonna trade you back. And it's only 200 points. It's it's disgustingly cheap for it's how strong only, that thing is. Oh, I was surprised how good it was. And make no mistake, like you you respect it, but I think there's also there's only so many things you can do. You can't try to you know, most armies can't try to protect two narholes plus screen out thank thank will plus you know prepare for a, a vermin lord plus like there's so many things and there's trade offs and. Yeah. Again, depends depends on the army. Depends on what you're building, and I mean, and, as a yeah. And I think I think this goes again back into what makes Skaven a little bit tricky to pick up to start with. Is a big part of Skaven is you're you're laying down all these traps where you're like, if you don't cover this and you don't cover this and you leave a bubble here and you go over here, if you split like this but you want to stay together, and you're laying all these traps and you're trying to ask the opponent which of these traps are you going to snag on and that's the one i'm going to attack on so i've got the ability to do lots of things based upon what was the one vulnerability that you couldn't cover yeah. now where it's hard is i think for a lot of newer players they they have an idea in the head like i'm a shooting army i go to here and i shoot and it's like yes but if that's the if that's the angle they've covered you can't use that angle you're going to lose that fight 
you need to really analyze what is the angle they didn't cover and then expose it. And where it's also hard is, especially as you go against better and better players, they're not going to leave a whole lot of uh, wiggle room to make mistakes. So you almost need to force, I mean, in tennis, they call them forced, forced errors. You need to actually force the errors from the opponent and actually position in a way where as much as they're a great player, they have to make a mistake in this position. And whichever mistake they make, that's the one you uh, you capitalize in. And this goes back to you talking about not changing your list too often, practicing with the same army, getting the reps in so you know what are the traps, what are the ones they're most likely to take. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things, but by getting repetition and getting exposure and experience, it does help you through tournaments to get a better understanding and better, I guess, predictability of the way you want to play the game because i think a lot of people just don't get the reps in against uh like in a tournament as you mentioned the first time you play crew boys was at this tournament right so you don't know which traps to lay and at what time and you know there's the risk of not knowing the threat pieces obviously you know you're a great player i'm not saying you didn't know this but for the person who's not putting in the reps and who doesn't read the meta and is not you know really focused on the competitiveness to the degree that maybe you have um, it is a bit hard to pull an opponent apart if you don't know your army um, and its response to the opponent. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, just uh, what's the old uh, Sun Tzu, Art of War? You know, know yourself, know your enemy sort of uh, sort of shenanigan. It's it's literally just that. Um, and if you don't if you don't know the opponent and you don't know what you're doing on your own army, that being said, there's nothing wrong with that. Like uh, one of my mates um, down here, uh, literally two days before a GT, I was like, I, I have a feeling I'm going to go against Gargans. I'd literally never played Gargans. I played him, he 20 to owed me, literally two turns in, smashed me off the table. But I was like, ah, actually, I shouldn't have my stuff five inches back from the front line because he'll hit me with two Gargans, kill, pile in, do the three-inch swing, and then I'm out. And then literally two days later in that GT, I got matched as a Gargan player, 20 to owed him. So, like, there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Just when you do play that army for the first time, really just take note of what are their tricks? What are they trying to do? How, what am I looking for? And then once you've done enough of that, you'll start to build the pieces together where you can go against a new army, you recognize that's the hammer, that's the chaff, that's the shield, that's this, that's that, and they start to form those generic uh, pieces. And remember, they probably don't know your army either. So there's a good chance that they don't know what you're going to do. So you are it's often... Obviously, Masters is different, but you know, like not a lot there, of people know how Skaven work and the intricacies of the unit combinations and even how the different clans interact. There certainly is a funny anecdote there where I've had a lot of games where I'm looking at my army and I'm like, I've lost. Like, they're going to do this. They're going to come in here. They're going to smash things. Like, I can see the pathway, but that's because I know the flaws in my army better than anyone else. And then it's like it's best not to just like verbalize it just have your confidence do your play and just be like your turn see what you do and you'd be surprised how often even though there's a very thing that you know beats you because they haven't played that matchup and they haven't got it they will do something else um so yeah what's well, funny you mentioned that because i was at a, a recent uh two-day event I, I played an opponent who basically wanted to concede in turn two and i said don't concede i said play this out and he's like oh but i've already lost i'm like no you're you're closer than you think like yeah you've lost a bunch of troops but you you're not you're not concede level just yet but it's yeah. that if you were in that mindset you play as a, a a loser or a victim and you force that sequence as opposed to well yeah, I might have, I might be losing, but what could I possibly do to either reduce the gap, maybe claw back the win, or maybe it's a great chop opportunity to force a, a few new ideas and decisions that maybe you wouldn't normally have if you were up. For sure, and I think there's there's definitely matchups where you, 
sometimes the matchup is so unfavorable, there's a 5% chance of winning. You know, not, not I don't think Skaven has many of those, but there are some armies where it's like against a good player, 5%, 10% chance of winning. And if you know that 5 to 10% line, you just go for it. Um, you know, there's no point conceding. You just say, you know what? I'm going to need a double turn. I'm going to need you to fail every save that you have. And I'm going to need you, you know, that two plus that you need to roll. You're going to fail that two plus on it as well. And you just go for it. <laughs> By the way, you 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 follow Sun Tzu. I I follow uh, the Karate Kid. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Uh, or 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 my hay woes always be charging. Anyway, anyway, we got the clan rats. Um, I think you've talked a little bit about the clan rats already, which is obviously board presence. They're cheap chaff, hundred points for twenty bodies. Um, mm-hmm. They are trash walls. They are objective scorers. They are objective deniers. Um, is there anything else you'd kind of add with the the clan rats? Because I am actually curious to unpack the hell pit a little more because it is a off meta choice from what I've seen over the last like almost twelve months. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing I would add to the clan rats is for any um, scaven players out there, as we we're saying before, don't bubble them up, string them in a long line, and in particular, don't even have them base to base. You can actually have one inch gaps between them, which means twenty clan rats. You can make a thirty-two inch long line from a hundred clan rats, which is insane. Um, and the, the most for most armies, you, the reason why you don't do that is because as soon as you have one or two die, you lose your coherency and you break right down to five. With Skaven, you restore D three models at the end of the battle shock step, which means that as they die, you just go, okay, I get to restore one model. I'll put it here and there's my there's my coherency back in place so really use those long strings and think of them as i almost think of them as a line where it's like you can't cross this line for one turn that's what it is it's like i'm going to run this line up and you can't cross this line for one turn um and don't be afraid to have them die because that kind of is their job what why is that important so like you talked about stringing you talked about the 30 odd inch line that you'd be able to create but talk to me about that. Why is that important at match play level or tactically? Yeah, I, I mean, look, Skaven, I mean, Skaven are surprisingly expensive. Like people think of them as a horde army. But if you actually look, I've only got 134 wounds. That's, don't get me wrong, it's not, it's not a 70, 80, 90 point army, but it's certainly no gits. Um, and so its wound count is low and its armor save is horribly low as well. So the way that you gain defensiveness is by forcing your opponent to not kill enough stuff per turn. Um, if you if you don't form those long lines and they take out, let's say they take out two to three packs of clan rats, then they'll hit you once. And this, this is a common story I hear with, with as well. I keep losing on the double turn. That's because you're not stringing out your lines enough. Because if you've got two to three lines strung out, if you hit, I love it when the opponent gets, if I, I often give them the double turn. You hit the first line, I give you the turn, you hit the second line. You killed 200 points of clan rats, my go. Um, where That's where the defensibility comes from, where if you if you don't have that, you'll just lose too many wounds too fast, especially to armies like Iron Jaws that will just teleport into your face, hit you. You really want to limit your opponent to only killing 20 to 40 clan rats per turn for those early turns. Um, and yeah, if you don't string them out, you could have 60 clan rats in a pack. Like if you get hit by Varangard or a more crusher, they'll, they'll chew through that. They will. And then, uh, yeah. So that's probably the, the most, the most that can really be said there is um, limit the amount of things that can be hit per turn. Yeah. I love it because as an opponent, I don't want to kill clan rats. It's like a, it's a thing that I've got to do, like brush my teeth. Like I've got to mm-hmm. do it right. But I've had to brush my teeth after every meal. I'd get tiresome of eating. So like, 
and where I'm going with that random analogy is that, okay, I will fight through a unit of clan rats once. I'll turn one, yeah, I'll soak it up and I'll kill 20 clan rats. But what I don't want to be doing in turn two and turn three is trying to go through clan rats while you've got the Vermin Lord, Thankwell, you know, you might have Warp Lightning uh, Cannons, you have Storm Vermin, you've got like Rat Ogres, you've got all these other offensive things that I want to get into. I don't want to be wasting my combats against Rat Ogres, sorry, against clan rats. For sure. And, and if you want a good yardstick, if you're doing well as Skaven, if you look in your dead pile and you all of your clan rats are dead, but it's just clan rats, you're winning this game. Um, whereas if you look in your dead pile and I've got my Warbringer, my Thankwall, and I've still got 60 clan rats on the table, I'm screwed. Yeah. 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 That, that that's that's my as an opponent the same thing right like if i can kill those rat ogres and kill the master molar that brings them back if i can take down the the warp lightning vortex the, the, the warp lightning cannons or the storm storm friends or like whatever it is if i can take those things down i don't care about the clan rats but what i don't want to be doing is being bogged down with clan rats and that's all i've killed that's just a waste of my combat phases or my shooting well not my shootings but you know what i mean like i don't like For it sure. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, other than that, you've got so we've got the Graceers on the list. I mean, they're just Graceers. They're great casters, double casters. Um, they got a three plus bodyguard and can't be shot at. So you can almost think of them as fifteen health near clan rats. It can't be shot at. They are probably the most invincible casters in the game, in my opinion. If you think about it in that method, um, for one hundred and twenty points to be, if you think about a three plus bodyguard as being triple the wounds near clan rats, uh, one hundred and twenty points for a fifteen health can't be shot at caster. Um, they, they, they just generous. don't die. It's, it's very generous. They just yeah. So they're they're fantastic. You need two GCs right now for, in terms of tactics. Um, having the two Graces and Thank will unlock uh, the triple master clan, which just gives you a ton of mobility options and uh, access to very consistent deep striking. Again, without it, you're deep striking at a 50% rate of hitting. Um, with it, you're deep striking at a 65, 75% chance of hitting your strikes. Yeah, we can uh, jump to. Uh, so I, I just thought I, I just thought I put the Master Clan rules up as a reference point. So you're talking about uh, always three claw steps ahead, right? Yeah, um, which is effectively says that when you do your first run, you get to share that run across your units, which is just nice for mobility. It's not a I wouldn't take it for that reason, but it's just nice to have. The biggest one is when you do your first charge and you, it says it's unmodified, but you can re-roll it. Um, whatever that charge is, you can share that charge across your army. So what it means is if you're deep striking three or four different units in, you can charge with something that's not even one of those units, like make it the drill, generally speaking, and you can charge it and re-roll the charge. You've got a 50% chance of hitting a nine. If that's a nine, you hit every deep strike that turn yeah. um, or nine or above. Um, and even if it's not a nine, you can still then do one more charge per unit. And if you got Thankful there, you can issue the same command twice to make it two more charges for that unit. So one unit in particular will have a 75% chance of landing its strike. And then even further, if you can do it on going second, it means that you've got a 40% chance of taking the next turn. So 75% chance of landing the strike, and then a 40% chance, even if you don't land the strike, that you'll just walk in and slap them anyway. Um, and suddenly you're looking at like, that's gambling odds. That's that's 80%, 85%. And you, you, you bank a game on that. You go, I'm going in, 85% chance I'm hitting this, and uh, you'll, you'll take those odds. 
Kieran, it's 8.30 p.m. You, you're dropping too much maths for me. But it goes back, but it goes back to the probability, right? Understanding numbers, understanding likelihoods. I don't think a lot of people have really looked at their maths. Like when you look at those nine-inch charges, for example, I, I think a lot of people get optimistic and hopeful and actually don't understand the probability of hitting it, then the probability of spending the command point. And you can see it as well when people spend a command point on all out attack to make something go from like a three plus to a two plus what's the likelihood and the improvement probability as opposed to doing it on something that has much more benefit, like bringing a four to a three. And yep. that's through repetition. That's through using like calculators that help you understand the likelihood. And when we go into certain things, what's going to do more damage and where your better decision processes are going to happen. So um, I like that a lot and I love the combination and yeah, I mean, right now the, the Gracie is a great value, especially with clan rats in Galatian veterans. Mm. Yeah. You play since is clearly slap. Um, that's their, that's, that's, that's their role to go in and slap. <laughs> they can deep strike. They can be running up the board. You probably like, like they do their thing. Yeah, the only the only tech I will note here is against melee armies, I actually deep strike the clan rats and not the plague sensor bearers, so they can start on the table, so that I can hit them with a death frenzy or even two death frenzies, send them through a gnaw hole and do it that way. Um, and clan rats in a warp grinder are hilariously better than people think. Um, again, because you're when you're coming out with a warp grinder, it's three inches long, and you can deploy clan rats wholly within thirteen of the warp grinder, so you can make a twenty-eight inch long line out of a warp grinder with clan rats which can actually pin opponents in turn one and make it so they can't actually get to any objectives if they don't have flyers, which is hilarious. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That's um, that's absolutely, yeah, I love it. Oh, talk to me about the warp grinder. Uh, am I am I going crazy or like I haven't, I don't recall seeing many warp grinders. Well, back in the old book, the problem with the warp grinder was when you came out of the warp grinder, it was some some heinous rule that was like, you roll a dice and on a one, you die. <laughs> like, and every, like The cave collapses and everyone dies, or you took a bunch of mortal wounds when you came out. Now it's just, um, now it's just, you when you, you can take it to the side, you can then choose another unit to go with it when you do the other unit. Um, and then it comes out. Um, also, warp grinder slaps. It is threes and th uh, d6 attacks, threes and threes, rend two, damage two. If you hit that as like a five or a six, it hits harder than most heroes. It, uh, the, the other thing with the warp grinder in particular as a tech piece for this list that's worth considering is when it comes out of deep strike with the plague sensor bearers, because of the master clan challenge, you can guarantee that everything's going in. Why that's really specific is if you're going in, if you're, if you're charging these into sentinels, you're charging it into some sort of shooters, it or KO, it will block the Unleash Hell, take the Unleash Hell, and then the Plague Sensor Bearers get to go in without having any Unleash Hell hit on them. So it's 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 not only a deep strike tool, it's an anti-Unleash Hell tech um, because it will block the Unleash Hell. And because of the Master Clan, it's, the problem with normally is you'll send one thing in, it'll take the Unleash Hell, and then the other thing doesn't hit its charge. And you're like, oh, well, now I feel like an idiot because I took an Unleash Hell on my other thing and my main thing didn't get in and it's all ruined. I know when I hit that master clan that they're both getting in. So I can send one in after another to block the unleash hells. Brilliant. I love it. I, I don't see, I don't see the warp grinder enough and maybe it's one of those items that you, you people have in their list, but then they drop it when they're over points or uh, it's, it's yeah. just something that you don't normally see. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those ones that you, every list should have one, but it is one of those ones when push comes to shove and you're like, yeah, okay, I'll get rid of the warp grinder. I think it's also more because as obviously my list is a very melee dominant list. It is more of a melee focused thing. If you're running like a clan scryer, sh- uh, sit in the back and shoot them off the board, you probably don't need it. Um, but because I am having to close the gap, especially against um, magic castles, it also lets the PCBs um, start underground so they're not going to get shot at. Um, so it is an anti-shooting, anti-castle tech. Um, yeah, that's probably that's probably all there is for that. Um, it's a it's a good little good little piece. You got your hellpit abomination. You've talked to like like why is it better than its points value? Because you're right. Like now that I've played against it for the first time, um, I must admit it does way more damage and it does has way more. I mean, the, the only issue I had is that obviously it can't issue its own command, so you need someone to be around to babysit it. But outside of that, I was actually quite impressed with it for the 210 points. Yeah. So one thing with the hellpit that is very often overlooked when you look at the book is it's 14 14 wounds on a five up save that's pretty bad however if a clan actually if you if you can jump to clan uh molder for me um in the so with the clan with the clan molder another yeah where are we here clan molder okay yep so a lot of people think that it reads that if you have a master molder you get to get a you get to get a mutation it doesn't say that it says at the start of the game, you can choose a hell pit and give it a mutation. If you have three or more master molders, give them all a mutation. So what that means is you actually don't need a master molder to give it a mutation. So by default, you can actually have it at 16 wounds on a four up save. You don't need the molder, which is why, why would they design it like that? I don't know. Send your messages to Games Workshop as to how they designed Whoa. that one. Uh, <laughs> like, like you take your master molder for your rat ogres. Like, I don't know if I'm taking three master molders just to boost up the hell pit abominations. Yeah. But, but yeah, the way that it's kind of, because the way that most of the other ones are worded is if you have one of something, you get this benefit. If you have three of this thing, you get this other benefit. That one actually is just, you don't even need a molder. You get the, you get the mutation. If you have three of the molders, you, all of them get a mutation. So you can always give it the, the, the two plus, um, two plus wounds, one more to armor. So suddenly at and it, it one thing worth noting as well is it came down by I think 35 or 35 or 45 points in the last patch which suddenly put it in the area of being an incredibly efficient trader at 210 points it's approximately 12 12 hits at threes and threes ren 2 damage 2 you know it's got different profiles but that's a good average so it's going to be able to do single target damage it's got probably one of the best melee horde clears in the game, which is um, choose a unit, every model within three inches, roll a dice, two ups of mortals, re-rolling if you charge. It does bracket, but it still will, again, against smaller infantry things. Um, heals D3 per turn, ignores a, ignores a spell on a four up. It is your unit where every army wants that thing that will contest the side objective. Like you'll send it yeah. over there, it'll have tree rev, something like that. In my opinion, I don't know of any other unit that can actually take on a hell pit one-on-one on a side objective. Like there are units that can do it, but there tend to be 300, 400, 500 point blocks that have to do it. I don't know of any 200 point unit. There's no I, that I know of that could actually take it out other than like, I don't know, Sigvold or something like that. But they're now, well, we're picking very specific duelists. Um, yeah. It will take out pretty much anything at a 200 to 200 point value. And it's taking that offense away from, again, your Vermin Lord, Thankwell, things like that. Um, 
you can also put death death frenzy on it, right? So it fights yep. on death. Yeah. So you I, so you could like chuck it death frenzy on turn one, force it up and and go contest an objective. If you fight it, you're gonna get to fight again. You do your death frenzy. If not, you've left it alone and you yep. can go for and, another turn. And probably one of the most annoying things about the hell pit is often people will be like, Great, there's your thing on its own. It's isolated. My battle tactic is kill the hell pit. When it dies, roll a dice. On a five or six, it comes back to life with D6. And that <laughs> that ruins battle tactics more than you know. Like, it's it's so infuriating for so many people when it just comes back to life. You're like, yep, here I am. Sorry, your battle tactic's out. I'm a monster. I'm still on the objective. It's my thing. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you now and, and your horde clear him back. <laughs> That happened to me, but they failed the dice roll. And I'm like, uh, like you, cheeky, you cheeky little bugger. Like, yeah, I, it, I, I, I'm laughing because that did happen to me, but I was lucky on, on the dice roll. Yeah, it's not something that you take specifically for that, but it, it's certainly a hell of a benefit. So that's really where the hell pit comes in. It is just that last trading piece. Um, also with Skaven, one of the biggest problems that we have is our bravery is like bravery four, bravery five across the board. If you have too many things like your PCBs, your gutter runners, plague monks and things like that, if you get hit with AOE damage or AOE spray, oh, sorry, area of effect for people who don't know, which generally in games is hitting multiple things in a zone or just putting like little bits of damage everywhere, you just trigger battle shocks across the board. Because it's a single model, it's not going to have to worry about battle shocks. It's got spell ignore. It's, it's going to sit there and do its thing pretty well. The biggest gripe that people have with it is it's got random movement, which is inconsistent. Again, the whole point of Triple Master Clan is to bring consistency back into the inconsistent Skaven. So if I put it through a Norhole, it's got consistent charges. I, if, if I need to move it somewhere because of the Triple Master Clan, I've got a good chance of getting a five or a six shared on the run, which means that it's going to get consistent movement from the shared run. Um, mm. so, it, so it actually allows it to, to pay off that inconsistent part. And if you take away the inconsistency, it's just a damn good unit. Um, is it for every army? Probably not. I think it does more factor to triple master clan lots of melee stuff um but it's certainly not a um not a on the shelf model by any means it's not an auto include but it's a great little tech piece that i think uh, has been a sleeper for maybe too long uh, i hope yeah. maybe one day in the near future kira and you and i could be talking again and we talk about doom wheels being the sleeper unit that everyone should have been running <laughs> It's a sta it's no. a staple of fantasy battles that I haven't seen on the table in Age of Sigma. So I've been playing seven what, the game's been around for what seven years. I'm yet mm. to see a Skaven player run the Doom Wheel, and it breaks my heart every time. Oh, look, there 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 is there is actually some secret tech lists that spam the Doom Wheels, and they're surprisingly better than you think. So if you search out there, there are Doom Wheel lists. They are they are a real thing, and they're stronger than you think. <laughs> do it I, I want you to be the champion of the doom wheel i that that's that's the meta that i want to live in absolutely <laughs> talk to me about these these other two endless spells right so warp lightning vortex is pretty self-evident right it does a little bit of damage it reduces it's a debuff tool um it's great for pinning um like what i think for a lot of people that the price was too expensive and the uh, the range got shorter, um, which is the big thing, right? Like, and that's why it's become it was Ko's best endless spell until spell in the bottle yeah. was only for universals. So, talk to me about its inclusion, and then I want to hear why Vermintide is in this list. Yeah. Okay. So, what lines? I mean, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. It does mortals. It stops runs. 
Um, again, looking into tech, I was thinking going into gits, and it's very good against gits, just lots of damage to um, all the smaller heroes. I would still take it even into, it's, it's just in my general list. Um, I do like it, especially combined with um, the realm spell, Gears of Gur. Oh, Gears of Gur, I think that's what it's called. Um, so what, if people don't respect um, positioning near a Norhol, or even not near a Norhol, you can skid a leap a Grace here up, use three dice to drop Warp Lightning Vortex, and then use the second spell for grinding Gears of Gur. Warp Lightning Vortex, again, is going to the math of it. If you're in the center of it, on the turn it's cast, on average you're taking about four and a half mortals. Gears of Gur, you're, on average, you're taking two mortals, which, you add that up, you're killing pretty much every hero that's on that objective um, as an average. Now, it doesn't always work that way because they're both very, very spiky. Um, where I think Warp Lightning Vortex really gets uh, oppressive is actually in combination with Vermintide. Because, mm. one, it stops running. Two, the way Vermintide works, it, um, it has a longer cast range than people think it's got an 18 inch cast and then moves seven so you're looking at a 25 inch projection from the cast um target unit within three inches um and on average it'll it's 13 dice six is a model so on average let's just call it for the sake of it two models to, to one unit yeah. where that's particularly useful is warp lightning vortex it says if you stay in this zone you're going to take models and you're going to die and you can't run by the way and then you get this thing called vermintide that comes in that says by the way, I'm going to block you from running out this way. And if you want to come out this way, you're going to take mortals running away. And you're also going to take mortals from the Warp Lightning Vortex as well. So it it basically, between the two of them, it's a movement block, movement slow, high mortal wound um, thing. In most GCs, well, uh, I guess, yeah, in most GCs are generally movement five, six, seven-ish. So if they can't run, they actually can't outrun the Vermintide. So yeah. even if they get out of the Warp Lightning Vortex, Vermintide is just following them, blocking them where they want to go and, and shipping down those heroes from range. The, it's, a long, the up, it's a long base, right? Like, uh, if, I, if I remember, it's, it's... It's it's the same size as the Warbringer. What is it, 120 by 90? Um, yeah. and, then it's, and then it's three inches around that is where you're taking the damage. <laughs> so it's actually, it's surprisingly larger than people think. Um, the other thing worth noting with Vermintide is again, secret, secret tech I'll, uh, spoil for myself if anyone's, uh, coming up in, in a match, but let's help all the other Skavens out. Where it's useful, because its range is so long, the biggest weakness to Thankful is people talk about redeploy. They say, mm. oh, they redeploy back, you get a five or six on the redeploy and they're out of range. If you've got a Horde, because, because Vermintide's a 25 inch, a 25 inch cast with the cast and the move, I can put Vermintide behind your unit and then put Thankful to the front. Even if you hit a six on the redeploy, you can't get over the Vermintide. So yeah, because you can move through, but you can't uh, end on an endless spell. Can't so end on it. Mm. So you can actually position it in a way where the opponent can't move the Horde through it or not move enough of the Horde that they're going to be out of range, at which point Thankful's is going to, even if half the Horde's in range, especially if they're one health each, Thankful will kill them. Um, and so it's actually... Originally, people were using things like Geminids to try to stop redeploys. I actually think Vermintide's a better option because not only does it stop redeploys, but it also has a ton of other uses as well, rather than just being specific for, for that thankful play. Um, and, it, and it's cheaper, right? It, I can't remember how much. By, by about, 10, 60 by about points 10 points. I think yeah. it's 50, yeah. So it's about 10 points cheaper. Um, so that's really where it comes in. It's It's been one of the later additions to my list. It's been one of the surprise... Um, I, I, I'm almost sad I didn't take it earlier. It has been uh, good in pretty much every matchup except for Lumineth and KO. 
they're probably the only two matchups that don't really care for it that much. But every other matchup, it is a amazing spell, blocks movement, does mortals, hunts down GCs. Um, yeah, 10 out of 10. Love it. Um, it also, I think before this book, not before this book, before the patch, um, I think it used to be 60 points and it came down by 20 points in a, in a patch not too long ago, which is where it got its viability from. At uh, 60... So- at 60, I wouldn't take it because, like, you're, you're close to, like, at that point, you're taking Jaws. You're taking uh, Warp Lightning Vortex Purple Sun. But when it got brought down to 40, it's 40 is very, very good now. And it's obviously better than going for a Triumph because, obviously, if you drop the Vermintide, you're at 1950, which puts you in a very good position for either the Battleshock Immunity, the Reroll Charge, or the plus one to Wound, which might go quite well with, with Thankful or the Warbringer that yeah. value over the triumph i i i mean my personal take yes but i can see i can see the argument being either side um also again knowing that i was very likely to face a gits or two at uh masters i was thinking the gits players are insane like i've seen some of them drop into like 19 10 points to secure to secure the triumph for their indomitable which is insane so i'm like i don't want to i don't want to neuter my points just for them to go even lower and i'm like well damn it i might as well have had the vermintide at that point um so for me personally I, I i like being having the vermintide and not getting the triumph but i do i can appreciate the other side of the um of of the coin there for sure i've got a couple of listener questions i want to ask and by the way this has been great and it's obviously very helpful and you know this is this works for kieran kieran has done incredibly well but you know it's not to say that if you like your storm vermin so you your, your storm vermin you like your uh, storm fiends you like your uh, lightning cannons and your your plague claw catapults or like you obviously can run things that work for you and your style i i imagine some people might like more of a hammer so maybe they do want an extra threat piece but uh, what i'm seeing here is a lot of tech in in a list i'm seeing a lot of movement shenanigans i'm seeing debuffs i'm seeing while you don't have a lot of threats on the table, what you have is walls of troops denying, tactically pulling opponents apart with lots of different options. And yeah, it, it, it if you grab this off the internet, I think a lot of people would just go, what on earth is going on here? Like, why don't you have X, Y, Z? But talking to you kind of really understands the techiness of Skaven and why you do what you do. Mm. I think, you know, something I learned from listening to a lot of your uh, interviews with some of the, you know, the great players of the world as such is a lot of the best lists, they feel weak when you look at them from a netlist perspective. But one of the things that you learn is it's about having variability and choice into different matchups. So a lot of the lists that are, you know, easier to start with is it's one thing, this is what you do, but if you go against the counter, you're screwed. For the players that are, you know, looking to run that that, that high level of the game, they don't have the option of if I get this matchup, I lose. That's not it's not even in their the vocab. They have to have a tool that deals with something in each instance. And a lot of this list is just about having a a, a tool to deal with everything. The one thing that I'm missing is shooting. Um, but there are Skaven there are Skaven books that do a hell of a lot of shooting. And if you look at the Skaven five O's from around the world or even the four ones. I think I, I, I ran through it before, and I believe there's only one or two units in the entire Skaven book that hasn't been represented in a 5-0 list somewhere between this met, this meta and the one before. Um, is it, do- is believe- it Doomwheel? Like the Doomwheel? Uh, uh, Doomwheel's uh, one no, of them. It, uh, what's the, what's the little one? There's the, there's the other, there's like Doomwheel, and then there's also the little... 
There's what, the yeah. warp uh, warp flare, I think it is warp flare. Yeah. I can't even. I, see, the thing. It's it's so out of meta that even I I can't remember what it's called right now. It's the melee weapon team. There's the um the doom wheel, and that's pretty much about it. There's a few other ones that are that are missing. Um, but like for a for a book that has like forty um forty war scrolls, probably seventy five percent plus of them do have viability. So. Don't by any means feel that like because I've got this in my list, this is the one true you know holy gospel. It's not that case. Um, there are other. I, I mean, uh, even talking about your um your Discord server, we've got a great little community there. And what's really fascinating there is actually the variety of the lists that we have that are that are going for one. There's guys out there that are going all gutter runners. There's guys out there going. There is there is one madman running three doom wheels. <laughs> so, um, and so there is a good variety in the book. So um yeah definitely um definitely none of the units are, are worth throwing out as such no and that's where like you can bring in eshin like i love is it slinks the uh the underworld's yeah. warband like i i love i love the mortal wound sniping abilities from the little ninja stars and and some of the things that that brings right i've seen yeah. uh, i've seen warp lightning cannon castles where uh, a player in my community was running three of them plus a catapult and just mm. absolutely destroying you from range. And then the rest kind of just move up across the board. So, you know, yeah, Thankful oh. is popular, but it's not the only build. So, um, but I love hearing the way you've used it to to make the most of your games. Yeah, as I said, it's just, it's a meta call for right now. And hell, the next meta, Skaven's ready for uh, when the next meta comes in. Thankful may not even be the piece anymore. It'll change to something else and uh, the list will completely warp around whatever's going to be required at the time. And it's a great book for the fact that I can do that. And I'm not just having to uh, rotate to a new book. And who knows what the Dawnbringer Crusade uh, will bring to Skaven. I feel like Skaven is one that, uh, especially with your battle tactics, I feel like they're a little bit too harsh on you and a little bit too restrictive yep. compared to what's come out this year. And who knows, hopefully some new rules and maybe, maybe some new units. For sure. For sure. Uh, I think new units. So we haven't had, any, haven't had any new ones for some time. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not going to count the new assassin. Like, uh, yeah, g give yourself a new. Uh, give me some more Eshin. Like uh, for me, for me, what draws me to Skaven is Eshin, and I'd love to see more Eshin. Mm, I think more Eshin. I do think that the clan that has the least support is probably Molder. Um, it kind of yeah. makes me a bit sad that there's one Molder hero. It's a master Molder, and he kind of just like whip, and that's that's the extent of his uh, interaction in the game. Hold on, um, hold on. He has the four up, bring back the rat ogres. Like, come on. Which is also whip. <laughs> it's like, it's like, he just sort of sits there and just whips things, and that's uh, that's kind of it. So I do think there's uh, definitely some love there that could be given to Clan Mulder. Yeah, I I, I, I do agree. Mulder is lacking. A um, couple of burning questions that I had from the Discord that I want to ask is, um, what were some of the considerations uh, for your thankful deployment? in the final game against Lumineth Realm Lords. Yeah. Okay. So going into what we were saying before, one of the tricky things about LRL is that they have um, they have auto unbinds with Teclas. So what I tried to do there was, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll describe it the best that I can, because with a Teclas castle, they, they really want to be going second where they can, because if they can go second, they have the potential to double turn you. And, and in many cases, that's the game in itself. So they often want to push for second. So what I did was I set up the gnaw holes quite aggressively in a way that said, if you don't take first, I'm coming through these gnaw holes and I'm, go I'm going to hit you. Because he had the one drop, He, I knew that if I set him to the side, he can't spread his castle because, again, that will leave him vulnerable. So he has to stay tight. 
But by setting the nor holes there, he has to move up to the nor holes. Otherwise, I'm going to aggressively push through. So the idea there was to set up Thankful in a way where I knew that he was going to have to take the turn one, otherwise risking me um, being very aggressive and landing the alpha. And by when he takes the turn one, I wanted to set him up in a way where one pack of Sentinels might be able to hit him for some damage, but he couldn't get both pack of both packs of Sentinels in. Because as I was saying before, you actually want you actually want Thankful to take some damage. Because if he takes four or four or five damage in a turn, I'm happy because I know that he's going to heal that back, and that's five damage that didn't hit something else. So, mm. and then if you set him up too far back, the problem is I knew that he was going to move forward with Techless, and he was going to unbind both. Like, there is a world where he wouldn't have done that, but there's a reason why he's triple champion of the world. Well, triple champion of Australia. It's because he knows what he's doing, and uh, he was always going to try to unbind that boat. So I knew that I wanted to put him far enough back that he wasn't going to get absolutely nailed by 40 Sentinels shooting him turn one can take some damage but heal it back but then far enough forwards that when the boat gets cancelled i'm not then having to spend too long um running up the board um to, to get to where i need to get which is the other side of the board um so that was that was you know sort of the complexities around that it it was a very tricky matchup i do think in hindsight thinking back about that game i did make some mistakes on deployment that did um cost me quite a bit um but that's a there's, 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 it's a very complex reason as to why I do think I should have had more Gracie's further back away so that while he could stop the boat, I could actually cast another boat from further away that would actually still be able to pick up Thankful to then take him in and force that Techless further forwards that then I can hit the counter charge. Um, but again, this is a, that's a very specific, a very specific question in line of thought. No, I like it. I, I like it. And, um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. And appreciate your honesty too. Like sometimes it's hard to talk and reflect and share what you did wrong, but uh, there's always lessons in it. Uh, Skaven has a huge roster. How do you break your list building down into something more manageable? Um, maybe I'll follow on, you know, do you look at it at a uh, sub-faction level? And I know you don't have traditional sub-factions, but do you try to build around and tick the box for three Master Clan and, you know, go for X amount of things? Or do you try to get, like, three threat pieces? Like, how are you, how are you trying to build your list and construct these 40-odd War Scrolls? Yeah. I, I Okay, so the first thing is Clan Rats. I don't care what you're thinking, just Clan Rats. At least... <laughs> Ideally, ideally 60. I know people run 40. I'm telling you, 60 is uh, 60 is the golden number. Um, so you start there. I, I understand it is very hard with the number of war scrolls there is. I think when you're adding things in, you have to ask yourself, what is the job that they're actually being added in to do? Where you end up in a bad space is where you go, I have these, and you you go, what's its job? It's to kill their chaff at the at the first turn of the game, and you get to the end of the game, and you go. Yeah, it didn't actually hit their chaff. It just kind of sat there and did nothing. That's when you then take that out. One of the nice things with Skaven is, I think the best way to build Skaven is just experience and playing the game. You play it and you go, okay, what worked, what didn't work? And you actually, add, it's one of the few books where you can mod, you can just take out a little bit, add a little bit, take out a little bit, add a little bit over time. And eventually you'll get to something that actually feels like it works for your particular play style. So I would say, my, the way that I like to build things is I like to start with the strongest base I can, which as I was describing earlier, I was like, you know what's a great unit? Plague Sensor Bearers. How about 40 of them? And then just Clan Rats and Graces and a Vermin Lord Warbringer because I know the Vermin Lord Warbringer is good. So that is the most raw power you can get. From there, 
tech is important, but if you have too much tech, you're actually not, you actually don't have any power behind it, but it's easier to have more power and less tech than it is to have more tech and less power. So you start with high power, just strong war scrolls that are good. It's, it's slow, it's clunky, it's kind of bad, but it's just raw beef. Then you go, okay, if I take out 10 plague sensor bearers and add in two deep striking things and some movement, it makes the other 30 a lot better. And you just keep doing that until eventually you'll reach a sweet spot somewhere between tech and power. Um, but it's easier to start with power, especially as a newer player, because tech, if you don't use it correctly, actually feels like it feels weak if you don't know how to use it, where everyone can use power. Power mm. is obvious. You walk it up the board and you hit. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's how I build. Is I start with the most powerful thing I could in terms of just raw damage and health with no tech whatsoever. And then I'll slowly introduce tech and... And it, it all, it, it's a good exercise, actually, because sometimes a, a thing seems useful, but you go, I like this thing, but do I like it as much as 10 more PCBs? Hmm. Like when you ask that question, it's often a lot harder than just like you put all these pieces and you go, ah, oh, I built a list of all tech and I've got like one set of PCBs and that's all I've got left. Like on the other side, if you've got 40 PCBs and you go, I, I like a warp lightning cannon, but do I like a warp lightning cannon as much as 10 PCBs, which is just raw damage and strength? Um. That's how I build it. Again, there are other champions out there. Um, I know there's lots of other videos um, uh, out there with regards to list building. That's my strategy. No, no it's great. And, and and I want you to own it because it's, it is great advice. But I will ask you, um, when you say do a job, what are the types of jobs you look for? So you've talked about raw power. Are you talking like offensive power? Are you talking about wound density? Like what, what are some of the types of jobs that you look for and – do you even have some numbers that you like? I always like to have at least two wound anvils that can soak up damage, hold an objective. And like, do you have any thoughts? And again, obviously meta dependent, battle plan dependent, but just help me, help yeah. me understand jobs. Yeah. So the different jobs you've got out there. So I think one thing you need in Skaven is you need one thing that's going to break screens. It's actually, ironically, as an army of screens, probably one of our worst things that we really struggle with. Um, Rat Ogres are probably the best example of that, of something that is fantastic at breaking screens. Um, they come through the Norhole, they hit the front, they die, they come back, and then, uh, or especially if you've got a death frenzy. Um, but you want, you, there's a job of, I need to break the enemy screen, because as much as I want to hit the deep strike on uh, the Vermin Lord Warbringer or the drills, if the bubble's still there, the bubble's still there. And if, you're, if I'm hitting a Vermin Lord into their chaff, I'm losing that game. So one job, for example, is what are you going to do to break their screens? Another job would be if they have a big threatening piece that's got two up armor save, what are you going to do about that? Now, in my list, I don't have that piece. So what I do is I run away. And that's my answer to it. Like you don't, you don't necessarily have to have an answer for each thing. But if you don't have an answer for that, that high armor save, you need to know that you don't have an answer and have a plan accordingly. Um, so, so for for example, and I say this a lot to people is, uh, let's say Archeon, the big bad booty daddy himself. If yep. you don't have enough damage to handle the twenty five wounds on the ward save and the high movement, you're better off killing everything else because Archeon yep. can only be challenging one objective. You can be using your movement to go cap other things, score battle tactics, take out those units of Arangard, take out those units of knights and warriors or whatever it might be, and 
all the power is concentrated in one and you could be just tagging annoying as you said using your lines and screening and and stopping that big pie plate so it, it's a great piece of advice and why retreating can be a very powerful tool as well like you don't have to kill everything and sometimes it's just easier to ignore it yeah i mean Archeon is a great example where sometimes Archeon can do a lot of work and then you un you look at the math behind it and you go, actually, you beat Archeon. So if you can make it so Archeon over five turns kills 60 clan rats, uh, 10 plague sensor bearers, a drill and a grace here over five turns, you beat Archeon because it didn't kill more points than he actually was worth. And you had you actually captured more objectives in the meanwhile, despite the fact it's still alive at the end of the game. It's still there. You didn't kill it. But you actually beat it just because you you did your thing and it actually didn't kill more than it's worth. Um, but yeah, if, if you can't kill it, especially with Skaven, because so much of our damage is glass cannon, if I hit into Archeon and I leave it on three health, it will then clear whatever I whatever I sent into it. And then if it's his turn next, he will then clear again. And suddenly he, that's when he's now, okay, now he's actually killing 1,000 points worth of stuff and getting the value that he's looking for. Um, but yeah, so the different jobs are, yeah, like again, castle breakers, um, chaff, chaff lines, objective holders. Um, I'm a big fan of having a hammer that is like undeniable damage. Like we're talking just ludicrous damage. Like if you get hit by this thing, you're going to die. I don't want it to hurt. I want it to kill them. Um, and plague sensor bearers are perfect for that. So, um, yeah, and as I said, on, on this list I've got now, there's, there's a, there's different things that do different jobs for different matchups. So, um it is a tricky thing to sort of work it all out but that's uh there's lots of uh resources out there for for helping to learn about these types of things yeah no it's it, it is great and i think that's the clear thing like why am i putting it in a list like i can't just build all the offense i need something to be able to screen maybe you have the ability to move pre-game is there things that are going to help you come in from nor holes are there things that are going to help you with your spell casting there are people that do jobs and certain things where my job really is to get the the boat out and having an extra ability through the gracia might actually help that like this is, there's lots of ways to look at things but um again this game is one on movement not on uh killing power so yep. always think about the, the movement and and things like that yep no for sure as I was, as I was saying before one of my one of my mates who is just beating the crap out of me multiple times in a row He's all about movement and it actually took him beating me. I think I'm still, I think I'm still seven, seven losses against him and I've never beat him. Um, uh, it's actually taken that for me to actually be like, okay, like that's why I, I, when I do things, I actually almost like, what would he do in this situation? And it's all movement tech. <laughs> it's all movement tech. Um, and it, it's, it's taken a little while for me to actually learn and appreciate that. And once you see it, it's like, I get it. Um, but it does take a little bit of time to actually appreciate why movement tech is so important in the game. Yeah, yeah, thousand percent. It, it's underappreciated, but you look at all the top players, and it's the skill that they know the most. Uh, yeah, probably the last great. question, Kieran, is I want to ask uh, again, coming from the community, is um, a, there's a lot of value in vermin lords being tied up in their spells. Uh, with the new mm. Seraphon arriving, do you think vermin lords will be worth it in a magic dom heavy meta? Uh, I would argue yes, but in I'll put in a bracket there, Vermin Lord Warbringer. Um, the Vermin Lord Warbringer is so... He's a bit of an exception to the rest in that even without Dreaded Death Frenzy, if you can get it, it's gravy. But if you don't, he is still one of the best like points to damage wounds ratio of any unit in the game. Um, he hits incredibly hard. 
Um, scurry away is a hell of an ability. Um, again, we don't have the time to go into it, but it 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 actually was probably the pivotal thing that won me my game game one in Masters against uh, Joel Graham. Um, so I think even in a world where you got things like Seraphon being Magic Dom, I would still be taking a Vermin Lord Warbringer. I do think, though, because of the existence of Magic Dom is why you've seen the Vermin Lord Deceiver start to fade a little bit more away. Mm. He's much more... Because rel- you're bringing him not for his damage, you're bringing him for Dreaded Skittle Leap. And in the world where you got Teclas and Auto Unbinds, if they unbind that, that Skittle Leap, you've got a 430-point support piece standing there not doing a lot. Um, and he, he, he hits hard, but he doesn't hit 430 points hard. Where the Vermin Lord Warbringer is... Uh, I, I, I always like when I'm rolling the dice, people are like, are you done? Like, like, like are, you, are you sure you're hitting for this hard? I'm like, yeah, I did hit you for 28 wounds. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, the Warbringer can slap. Like when I've played against it, uh, it's always about getting that Warbringer down uh, before combat. Like, and, and I'm lucky because, again, the last couple of games I've been playing has probably been with Stormcast. So I've got my Judicators, I've got my Long Strikes, and I see that thing and I got to get it off the board thankful i can't stop it's almost like cool limit the damage that thankful and then go in but with the warbringer i just need to neuter that and uh you're showing why it's such a powerful tool and maybe the other thing as well is um i i, I find people uh they don't use finest hour as early as they should they kind of almost hold it back and like against like dave kerr for example a, sh- like a very shooting army if you know a smart player is going to try to take out your your, your key tool, Thankwell Vermin Lord, put it put a distraction piece down and put a finest hour up, because between that and then obviously all that defense, you you know you, you've got a much better chance of survival. Burn it if it has it, like I think Ogres taught us that lesson with the four um the four cannons, like just chuck up that finest hour, burn it every time you can, and it limits the damage. Yeah, for sure. As, as I was saying, the times where I lose with Skaven is when my guys die before they're meant to. Um, and the greatest thing with the, the Warbringer is a great example of that. If you can choose when he's going to die because you've got Dreaded Death Frenzy, he is one of the best traders in the game. If you have him on just one health, just one health, and you put one or two Death Frenzies on him, you send him into like Fulminators, you clear him. Like, I don't care how many there are, they're gone. <laughs> um, so he's a great example of like, yeah, definitely keeping him alive is important. Use the finest hour earlier than you need it. Um, there's nothing worse than there's nothing worse than when your guy dies by one health and you're like, should he use finest hour? And now it's like, well, it's too late now. He's dead. Um, so definitely, uh, especially as, as, an, as a note, if you're going into a shooting army like a KO or something like that or an IDK, you know that they're going to shoot at you. It's it's not even it's not even like a will they shoot at me? They will shoot at you. Like it's not even a question. Like and hell, if you use a finest hour and they go, oh, I used finest hour and they didn't shoot at him. Fantastic! <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. Um, so and, and 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 that's exactly my point is that sometimes using it can be enough enough of a distraction to stop your opponent going. Well, I was going to try to take out that warbringer, but now because you've used finest hour, I know you can all that defense. But that plus that plus two to your save is just not worth it for me. So yep. you know what? I'll target something else. Great. That's all I needed because now I can slap you back. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, definitely um definitely use those finest hours early. <laughs>
Kieran, is there any final advice you'd want to give a, a Skaven player? I was about to say KO just because we were talking about KO. Um, but as, as a Skaven player, uh, for someone who's had success like you have and um, been playing it for as long as you have, uh, fo- very focused, is there any final advice you'd want to share that we haven't already discussed in the last two hours? Um, I, I, I guess if there is any advice, I'd definitely say seek out other Skaven players. Um, because Skaven is an army that has a lot of very secretive tech. It's not like, it's not obvious how to play them. It's not obvious how to deploy them. It's not obvious how you should be screening out and doing lots of things. Um, and it's something that will, if you if you speak to other Skaven players who are doing well, it like it it will be they'll be able to help you. And this community AOS so far has had a fantastic community where I've never asked anyone for help and they've been like, no, that's my secret tech. How dare you? Like like it just it just doesn't happen. Um, and so definitely, you know, the only advice I would give is just reach out to other players, see what they're doing, um, and, you know, learn from other players. I, I do think as well, one of the best tips I can give is try to watch some really high tier, um, matches. Cause you'd actually be surprised when you watch it, you're like, why are they even doing that? Why? And then understand why they're doing it. Why do they deploy like that? Why are they setting up like this? Why are they setting up like that? Like why this particular list tech, it will, it will teach you a lot about the game um as well as yeah just just getting out there talking to people um learning from your mistakes as we said before if you lose a game it's okay just understand why you lost what the math behind it was and uh pick it up and go from there that'd be my last uh you know piece of advice as such i will say like watching battle reports whether they are top tier because top tier players it's hard to 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 watch all the time right and we're lucky that worlds is coming up soon and there are some really good top tier like you know season of war for example great great channel that are focused very on the heavy competitive side but Mm -hmm. also watching people who are more casual actually can teach you a lot and it's not that what they do is on the table but it's what they don't do and it's like that critical thinking to say well if i was in this position i wouldn't have done this or i would have put the no hole here or i would have held this back and that actually in itself is a skill of critical analysis that can help you be a better player so even if you can't watch the top players looking sure. at other players that can help a lot so um no, love, love, love it. I love, I love your reflectiveness and your, an- your analytical approach because you know what, sometimes we lose and it sucks, but it's like, well, what can I do differently next time? So, and, and when we're at a tournament, we get that instant feedback that we can instantly implement. But if I'm only playing once a week or once a fortnight, I get that feedback. I can't do anything with it for another week or two. So um, mm. that's why I love competitive games. And that's why I like to play like multiple, even like your local store that might have two or three games, you can mm. immediately put the feedback through and stress test the list. Yeah. I think on that note, over the last year, I've probably played 80 to 85% of my games are actually at tournaments, either being one days or two days for exactly that reason. It's a great way to condense it down to a nice short period. You can actually make a mistake, learn for it, move it to the next game. And like, I remember, especially in the early days, by, by the end of the tournament, I was a different player to where I was at the start of the tournament, uh, which is a weird thing to, to, to say, but it definitely holds true, um, where you, even in a single day, you're like, wow, it's like if you were to play yourself at the start of the day, you'd smash them. <laughs> you'd absolutely knock them off the table. Well, it happened to me recently where I was playing with my sons. I picked them up for the first time in like four months and I played Slanesh and it didn't go as well as it should have, but I then went on a winning streak and I'm like, man, if I would have played Slanesh again, I wouldn't have played like a potato. Like I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done that. And uh, even an army that I know intimately, there's that 
that repetition and being in the game and playing with your toys that you you learn so much through the process so um and i think i hope in the last two hours people have learned through your process and your skills and your experience because you've brought a lot to this discussion and uh while this is not the the one and only way to play skaven i hope this has given people some ideas some thoughts and some ways to maybe tweak and you know to look at the hell pit abomination to, to to consider that vermintide and not just take the top lists off the internet, but actually look at the play style list options and try something different. And if it doesn't work, cool, you can drop it. If you, if it does work, you're getting ahead of the meta, uh, which I absolutely love. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Karen, anyone you want to shout out, anyone you want to say hello to you've, you've named, you've, you've casually danced around the name of your, uh, it sounds like your long-term rival that you're going to, you're now going to defeat, uh, they beat you seven times in a row with your movement, but you're going to get the uh, next. He's a good mate. He's a good mate of mine. Oh, look, I mean, the AOS community in Australia is just, it's, it's a lovely community. There's lots of, lots of different um, players here that, you know, have helped me to, to being where I am. Um, so in, in terms of particular shout outs, I mean, just, just, just the entire, I mean, I've mainly played in the Victorian ecosystem, but the entire Victorian ecosystem for AOS is just a, a fantastic learning environment. Um you know, between you've got the miscast crew, you've got, um, I mean, even the AO, uh, you, you've got the, the different crews, you've got miscast, which is where my club's mainly from, where I spend, you know, a lot of the times with the guys out in uh, Bendigo in the bush side, Ballarat, Geelong, um, the South Australian crew have been a lovely crew as well um, to, to, to be with, uh, model citizens. Um, biggest shout out though, probably my partner, um, for everyone who knows me in, in, in the AOS community. Um, my partner, Joe, um, she literally comes to every single tournament. She's been to more GTs than probably any other player in Australia other than me. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, definitely, um, you know, love the support from her in terms of just being there. Um, plus, um, you know, final shout out, not trying to plug your own, uh, not trying to plug your own stuff, but the AOS coach discord, discord server. Um, there's always great uh, things on there. We always beef on with regards to, if you just, if you just mention in there that you think the screaming bell is a viable unit. And uh, you'll you'll start a war every time. Um, so, I, I do want to yeah. say one thing. I, I want to go back to one thing you said around asking for list construction and feedback. And I think one lesson, because I get a lot of people whinging at me, and uh, they're like, "Oh, like, they just whinge all the time." Uh, people like to whinge, but I, I find yep. one thing is that when people have a idea in their mind. When you ask for feedback, it's always helpful to actually say what you're looking for. Like if you love Scryer. And you have a dream of running three lightning cannons and you want to have all the Gisales and, you know, you want to have a hundred percent Scryer army competitively. It might not be the best, but if you go in and say, Hey, and this is like, this is whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Reddit, whether it's on discord, you're like, Hey, I really want to focus heavily on this type of build. I know it might be not most competitive, but how, what advice would you give me? Like, what could I tweak that gets me like, towards how i want to play or i like to play things with lots of monsters or i want to run a horde style and yes i know the the grace here on screaming bill no longer has a battleshop community but how can i run this type of army that i want to run and that context can actually get you a better outcome because otherwise yeah. what you just get all the all the netlist stuff why don't you have thankful why don't you have this it's like well because i don't want to i I think as well as that, providing a specific question or a specific thing you're looking for, and this takes a certain level of self-reflection in your game where you get to the end of it and you don't say, this is my list, what do you guys think? You say, this is my list, look, 
I'm really struggling with Beast Claw Raiders. I don't know what to do because every time I'm just, it's turn two and I'm dead and I don't understand what's going wrong. Like that's something we can actually provide advice on and say, well, look, are you, are you screening your things out? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? So we can, people can help with a specific question. There's nothing worse than this is my list. What do you think? It's like, well, if it's your list and you like it, then whatever. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go in there and tell you that your favorite units are, are bad. Like if you like yeah. them, kudos to you. Um, but like, if you have a, if you want help, understand what are some of the things that you need help with. And is that something that you actually need to self-reflect on? Even if it's just a case of this is what I seem to be struggling with. Um, and then people can provide advice. I like, again, I, I, I know I, I know, I know I harp on about monster trucks, but that's mainly because when I started, um, I kept getting dumpstered on by monster trucks and I was like, this is the most overpowered army in the game. How do you, how do you beat this? It just charges at you and beats you up. What do you do? Um, and it actually took me properly like asking the right questions to understand why it's strong, but then also how you can beat it. And rather than just complaining, it's too strong, be like, okay, it is strong. I still stand by it's very, it's a good army, but it does have weaknesses. What can you actually do to beat it? How can you play against it? And then playing to those odds. And eventually you realize that Actually, now I'm on the other side. I'm kind of like, I actually reckon we're better against monster trucks than I have a better chance of beating it than they have Skaven. So, um, so yeah, just asking the right questions for feedback and specifically for what it is that you're struggling with is where you'll get the most assistance. I love it. I love it. Kieran, are you on socials at all? Like, are you on Twitter or are you, I know you've mentioned my Discord, but are you active anywhere else uh, if people want to chat Skaven with you? Uh, kind of, I mean, probably my Facebook is the only one. Uh, I will, if, if someone wants to chat Skaven, I will actually let you talk to me on my Facebook, but that's if you want to, it's a bit strange. The best place to probably reach me is the AOS coach, um, discord server. That's probably the only place where I'm active, like in a more public forum active. Um, but I swear that part, wasn't set up. I wasn't set up by the way. I swear. I yeah, have no not, idea when, not. I, when I asked that, when I asked that question, <laughs> like, I swear that wasn't set up. No, no, he's definitely not. But that's, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a troglodyte. Um, I, I basically, I don't even have Instagram. I definitely don't have, actually I do have TikTok now, but that's only because my partner sends me TikToks and I need to uh, watch them. Um, but they're pretty uh, good. They're pre- TikToks are pretty good, man. Like you just, you, you fall down. Like, they're yeah. like Vines, Vines 2.0. Like it's just so good. Where, where are the Warhammer TikToks at? That's what I need to find. Um, uh, but there, there's, there's some, there's some, but there's not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Well, we'll at that. That's my next content creation. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do that. I'll be the. I'll. I'll start some more <laughs> TikToks. But yeah. So basically, um, yeah. If, if people really want to reach me, probably on Discord's the best place. But again, it's still not. I'm still not super active there. But if you send a message, I'm more than happy to have a chat, take a look through some questions, and and answer what I can. Um, and that's probably probably the best bet. Um, yeah. Awesome. Kieran, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your insights. It was a great chat. And uh, I hope Skaven people, uh, you have some new ideas, some new tactics some things to try on the tabletop uh, based off Kieran's experience. And again, shout out for getting to the grand final of the Australian Masters, especially for someone who's only been in the game now for 12 months, kind of on the dot. So credit to you, credit to your analysis, your commitment to the game, committed to Skaven, uh, because I, I think a lot of people labeled you as the dark rat. Like when they saw your name and they're like, okay, well, you know, there's the Joel McGraths, the Joel Grahams, you know, there's the the Matt Tyrrells, the Michael Clarks, the David Kerrs. They're like, okay, they're the ones who will probably be in the finals. But, you know, you you you, are, you come up from the under empire and uh, you, you, you shook up the master scene for the better. 
No, for sure. Look, and it very easily could have been um the the slaves player I played. Um, he was also you know one of the the lower ranked players of the tournament. He he did the same thing. He obviously whipped through, and he he deserved to be in that final podium as well because it, that was a hell of a game three um between the two was of us. Though Terrence was that Terrence. Terrence. Terrence, yeah. yeah, hell of hell of a player. Um, and so he definitely, um, you know, I was that was probably one of the best matches I've ever played to date. Um, so you know, very and a very lovely man as well, which is probably the best compliment you can give in the uh, in the game of AOS is you enjoy playing the game with someone. So, yeah. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much. You know what to do, folks. Like, subscribe, comment. Let me know in the comment section. You know, is there things that maybe you would consider or maybe some things that you're finding in the next general the current general's handbook that uh, a little bit of a secret source maybe we should be exploring we shared the hell pit abomination we shared the the uh, scaven tide but is there some other things that are working in your favor you know the deal comment section uh thank you so much and uh let's wrap this up thanks guys Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. Now, if you did, I would love it if you pressed like on the video, as well as left me a comment with your thoughts. The conversation will continue over on Discord and the link is down below in the episode description. I also want to give a massive shout out to the AOS Coach patrons and YouTube members who are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you are all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a double one on a spell cast.